Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, this is Kevin Kelly. Get ready for the latest episode of the Starimcast. Guys and welcome to the Stardom Cast. I'm your host Rob Goodwin. I am joined, as ever, by my good friend Matt Turner. Matt Turner, how are you, good sir? Rob Goodwin, my good friend. Always great to hear your fantastic voice on this beautiful, beautiful day that we're having as we're getting to the close of the end of summer. How's things over there in the land of Johnny Saint and Ozzy Osbourne? I mean, it's 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 difficult to be sad when uh, we do have such greats such as Johnny Saint and uh, Ozzy Osbourne. But uh, obviously, as we record this, it is the closing days of August, um, and I am sat here. We do actually have some, uh, or we did. I've just turned around and there's grey clouds again. But uh, yeah, we've had some uh, we've had some chilly, chilly weather to the point where I am actually wearing fleecy socks, uh, which is something that I feel probably shouldn't happen in well, we, well august it definitely shouldn't happen in august but uh there we are there we are what sort of temperature are you looking at in uh in good old philly we are looking at uh, 82 degrees it says uh, when i woke up this morning it was raining really really hard and i thought that was going to be the day but normally when it rains really hard like that it doesn't sustain too long so uh the rain probably only lasts about four or five minutes and around eight o'clock this morning the clouds peaked out. So here we are about four hours later and it's gorgeous out. It's beautiful. So enjoying it while we can before we know it, the leaves will be falling. Then after that, it'll be uh, time to shovel the snow, Rob. So uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, but um, I'm glad everything is well over there. As you know, and uh, some of our longtime listeners know, we do not like to start the show all doom and gloomy, but unfortunately, Rob, we are all part of the dysfunctional family that is the wrestling family. And this has been a really tough year. For us wrestling fans with debts, uh, we had obviously Jay Briscoe, Iron Sheik, Lanny Poffo, Superstar Billy Graham. And uh, probably within about 36 hours back to back this past week, we lost uh, Bray Wyatt and the uh, living legend himself, one Terry Funk. Yeah, um, it's it's not been a great year, as you've already mentioned. And you've you've mentioned some uh, some real legends of wrestling there and, you know, Darren Drozdov. As well, we lost this year uh, Mike Halleck. So um, the uh, oh, who is the guy that he's most famous for playing? 
Um, Mantar? Mantar, that's the one. I was like, I know it's a Minotaur, but I don't want to call him Minotaur, and I especially don't want to get it wrong, seeing as we're, we're paying homage. But um, yeah, obviously this week we lost uh, we lost Terry Funk, or last week as we're recording, we, lo- we, uh, we lost Terry Funk, and... Um, you know that's you're gonna pay a little tribute to uh, to the Funkster shortly, um, and it's it's never easy losing someone who's so pivotal uh, to the wrestling scene and has been so pivotal for as long as Terry Funk has, um, especially when you look at his story career throughout you know the US and Japan, um, and the fact that he just he would not retire, he would not stay down. Um, and he's going to be sorely, sorely missed. Um, and then as though that wasn't enough, um, we got the really quite awful news that uh, Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, uh, passed away on, I believe, was it Thursday he passed away? Um, so just under so, a week yeah. ago, as we record, um, which I don't want to downplay Terry Funk's passing by any stretch of the imagination. Um but Terry Funk, at least, it felt like he'd lived a good portion of his life, whereas Bray Wyatt, as he passed, was 36 years old. Um, he'd got four young kids, or he's got four young kids. And uh, from the outpouring of of love online that I've seen from wrestling fans, um, friends in the wrestling business people who did work with him regarding, you know, even people who were doing his masks and things like that have said just such how a kind-hearted, gentle soul this man was. And, you know, we can argue until the cows come home about the direction of his booking and, you know, should he have won that match? Should he have won this match? One thing you can say is he is one of the most creative minds in pro wrestling. Um I took a huge sabbatical from wrestling. Um, you know, the mid, mid-2000s, mid I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this now, I think. The attitude here is done, I'm done. And uh, I often credit Bray for being the reason that I got back into wrestling. Um, he was, you know, so captivating. His promo style was so different. And the idea of the Wyatt family and that cult in WWE was uh, was really, really fascinating. It was when I was really drawn to the character and uh, his ability to reinvent himself. And then obviously he brought out, he brought out The Fiend and, uh, you know, Firefly Funhouse for a long, long time was compulsory viewing almost. You know, I don't think I've ever had enough time to watch three hours of Raw. I'm, uh, I'm amazed people do. Um, you know, my... my Fair play to you if you manage to sit through, you know, that and two hours of SmackDown every week. But, uh, you know, the Five Life on House segments were, were the thing that I would check out on YouTube every single Tuesday morning. Was there a Five Life on House segment? What did Bray do? Um, unfortunately, you know, I don't think Bray was ever really the same after losing Brody. Um, obviously, we lost Brody Lee in, uh, in 2020. Um, but you know, for all the the outpouring of love that we have for Bray, it's it's important that we remember his family. Um, you know, this by all accounts he was fighting. This was sort of brought on by COVID, um, and then I think Fightful Select and a whole host of other places have reported that it was a heart attack that ultimately uh, 
that was the ultimate factor. Um, but if you, I'm not going to go into all the details here. But if you go into, uh, if you look at, you know, the manner of his passing, it it, it truly is heartbreaking. Um, I know that the WWE have, uh, they've, I believe that the cut that superstars make off their merch is something like five percent, which uh, again I imagine is a debate and a discussion for another podcast but i know that wwe have uh have announced that 100 percent of uh of any merch that they sell with bray wyatt's name attached to it they're giving 100 percent to uh to jojo offerman and uh and the young kids um which is which is fantastic so if you want a way of supporting bray's family and the ones he's left behind then uh go and buy your bray wyatt merchandise at uh and on the wwe store it was i, I haven't been able to watch the SmackDown tribute show. I, I simply haven't been able to bring myself to do because he he was and is my favorite wrestler outside of stardom. Uh, always has been, and you know always will be. And it's such a it's such a shame that we're not going to see the the completed arc for this creative character. And by all accounts, as I've already said, what sounds like an absolutely beautiful soul. So again, our hearts go out to his family, um, to all of his friends. You know, Braun, who of course is. Um, I believe Bray's second youngest. I believe he's the godfather of Nash. Um, Eric Rowan, of course, who in a short space of time has lost both Luke Harper and and Bray. It's not an easy time, and uh, I know we're a Stardom podcast, and uh, we delve very, very little into the world of WWE. But this this is news that uh, that permeated all of wrestling, as you said before, Matt. So uh, rest in peace, Wyndham. Um, and our thoughts, prayers, and good, good vibes go out to uh, to your family. Yeah, um, very well said, my friend. And as much as we talk, as much as I think I like to know about you, I never knew that Bray White was your favorite wrestler outside of Stardom. So, uh, yeah, I know that uh, you know, just texting back and forth, uh, you know, it was a, this was a little hard on you. I did not realize that. Uh, see, I learned something new every day. I learned something new every day. Go. And. Uh, for, yeah, and as Rob just said, folks, I mean, if you're new to the podcast, we have new people uh, all the time. And thank you so much for giving us a chance. Anytime like a major person uh, passed away in professional wrestling, it is a stardom podcast, but at the core, we're a wrestling podcast. We will always say something in tribute at the beginning of the show. And right before Rob and I recorded, we did, uh, we said, hey, Rob, why don't you take, you, you know, you say something about Bray Wyatt, because I know you're a big Bray Wyatt fan. And I'll take the Terry Funk part. So uh, now I'm just going to – I can do podcasts. I mean, everybody, anybody can about the legendary Terry Funk. You know, you mentioned Bray Wyatt was 36 years old when he passed away. I think Terry Funk's wrestling career was like 10 or 12 years longer than Bray Wyatt passing away. So there's so much you can talk about Terry Funk. But where Terry Funk hit, really hits home for me is I remember I was probably wrestling about a year or two when the uh, Rise and Fall of ECW DVD came out. And uh, they're interviewing Paul Heyman. He's talking about Terry Funk. And he says, ECW would not have existed without Terry Funk. Because Terry Funk was the only person from that generation, meaning like, you know, the 70s and 80s, that uh, back then, back in wrestlers in the 70s or people in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even some today, they're so worried about clinging onto their spot. Like, they don't care about helping the younger talent. They just want to make sure they have their spot forever. Where Terry Funk was like, no, I need to, and this resonates with me so much, I need to teach the younger guys to get them ready for the next generation. And that goes with everything. 
whether it's wrestling, whether it's podcasting, whether it's being a parent, whether it's being, you know, a husband, whether it's being something in sales or anything that you do in life. If there's something that you can do to help somebody else, to help push your profession or something that you love forward by all means. And that stuck with me for 17, 18 years or whenever that DVD came out, I never forgot it. The fact that Paul Heyman was so adamant that Terry Funk was like, no, 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 no. I need to help the younger guys out. So there is a wrestling business for me to love and me to cherish and me to push. Um, and there's a very famous speech that Paul Heyman did. It was on, um, uh, it was on beyond the mat from barely legal, which I believe was April 13th, 1997 where Paul Heyman said before the show started, you know, thank Terry Funk for being unselfish and selfish times. And that's Terry Funk to a T. I, we've seen so much stuff posted on social media where Terry Funk is your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. Obviously, Tommy Dreamer's favorite wrestler. Mick Foley's favorite wrestler. Ric Flair has nothing but glowing things to say about his feud with Terry Funk in uh, 1989. You know, the I Quit match and the, uh, the the Clash of the Champions match. Those are two of Ric Flair's all-time favorite matches. Um and Jerry Lawler has gone on record multiple times saying Terry Funk was his favorite opponent. You know, that empty arena match. You want to know how to do a match in front of no fans and really work towards a camera and the cameraman? That is exactly how you do it. And I believe one of the cameramen or one of the photographers for that match might have even been Jim Cornette. Or somehow Cornette was involved, uh, something like that. But that's how you do a match in front of no fans, that empty arena match with Jerry Lawler. I believe it's on YouTube. I think it's very easily accessible. And... Uh, I'm just going to end this little segment before we get into the stardom stuff with just a story that I remember. Uh, Tommy Dreamer was on, it was either Colt Cabana's podcast or Stone Cold's podcast like 10, 11 years ago. I forget which one. And bear with me because I haven't heard the story in a handful of years. So I might not have everything lined up. But the gist of it was Tommy Dreamer had a wrestling company called House of, Hor- House of Hardcore. I don't know if it still exists or if he does shots from time to time. But uh, he had Terry Funk booked for the show. And these shows would take place up in the Northeast area by me, New York, Philly, something like that. And he had Terry Funk booked to do a meet and greet and then just to do a run-in on Tommy Dreamer's match. Well, a day or two before the show, Tommy gets word from either Terry's wife or Terry's one of Terry's daughters. Like, Terry has a really bad hip. He has to have hip surgery or hernia or something like that. He's in a ton of pain. Tommy calls Terry up and said, don't come to the show. You have to sit in. The, you you got to sit in the airport. You have a seven, eight-hour flight. You know, don't come to the show. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry. We'll figure something out, Terry. You take care of yourself. And Terry, just being so old school, was like, no, I need to make my shots. Because not only are the fans counting on me, but the boys as well. Because he knew damn well that Terry Funk was going to sell tickets, even though obviously he wasn't wrestling. But people were paying their money to see Terry Funk, whether it was at the meet and greet or an interview or whatever. So Terry knew that the house was some of the house would be drawn off him. And even though he was in so much pain and he could barely, barely stand, he still made that flight from Texas all the way to New York or again, Philly, wherever it was. And Tommy was like astounded. He was there and he's like, Terry, you don't have to do the running. He's like, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. And he goes, so he told, well, I forget who was in the match. It might've been Justin Incredible or Stevie Richards or one of those uh, famous people from ECW back in the day. And he said, if Terry comes out, Whatever he does, if he just throws a chair or he throws a punch, just bump for it like crazy. And they're like, yes, absolutely. So Tommy's on the ground getting heat, and he hears the pop, so he knows Terry's coming out. He looks over, and Terry's DDTing, whoever it is, on, like, the stage, like the, like the old WCW stage, like the stardom stage. He's like, 
this guy can barely walk and he's taking this long plane flight and we told him not to do anything. So he said, if he's going to, if he's dead set on doing this run in, let him just throw a punch or throw a chair or something. So he doesn't get hurt. It turns around. There's Terry Funk, DDT, whoever it is with all of his might, because <laughs> Terry Funk is just so old school and so tough. And nobody has a bad word to say about Terry Funk. And it's just, uh, you know, again, 79 years, God bless. I know his wife passed away about a year or two ago. So at least, you know, we have solace that they're reunited in heaven. But uh, Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk are two wrestlers that will absolutely live on forever. So uh, rest in peace and thank you both to uh, Bray Wyatt and the one and only Terry Funk. Indeed. Could not have put it better myself. Um, let's move on then um, to issues pertaining to stardom. But before we do, Matt, let's talk a little bit about Patreon. What is coming up this week? On the Patreon, Rob Goodwin, it is uh, by the time you listen to this, it should be in your Patreon feeds. As far as me doing solo podcasts, I would say it's my finest hour, however... It's my finest two hours and 20 minutes. Yes, the entire <laughs> Sayakamatani World of Stardom Championship run. I knew it was going to be long. It'll probably be about two hours and 20 minutes. That'll be up in your feed. I hope you enjoyed. I put so much, just like I do in every episode, but there was so much love, so much passion that I put into this. Going back, watching all 17 of those matches, and I had an absolute blast literally talking to nobody, talking to my <laughs> microphone for two hours and 20 minutes. That should be up in your Patreon feed by the time this drops. Also, what should be up in your Patreon feed by the time this drops is Rob and I recorded back-to-back earlier this week. Uh, we did What If Io Shirai Never Left in 2018. And we did a little fantasy booking if Io stayed in Stardom just a little bit longer we had a really good fun time doing that. And we also did a roundtable discussion. Unfortunately, our schedules didn't line up with anybody. So it was just Rob and I. Um, I hope you enjoy that. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you must. We did a roundtable discussion of just the top tag teams in stardom history and just talked about certain angles and certain things and certain matches we liked. And also, we just released this past week, uh, in my opinion, what was... Uh, in my opinion it was my favorite alternate commentary we've ever done and i loved every single one i thought this one was an absolute slam dunk we did the alternate commentary of the generation struggle match from earlier this summer from the super loud super heated super passionate fans from cork and hall it was sai kamatani teaming with yutami suzu suzuki and micah to take on the team of tam nakano eskimo tam nakano you'll find out why if you if you listen to it yet eskimo tam nakano mayu watani uh sherry and julia so that is uh basically what is going to wrap up august for the summer of saya now mr rob goodwin do you think we should tell the fantastic listeners of the stardom cast what we have coming up in the month of september i think we shall i think we shall good sir Let's do it. So uh, the voting actually just ended about an hour before we started recording. So the biweekly podcast for the month of September will be Julia's 2020 Cinderella win and Azumi's entire high-speed championship run, this last run that just ended just a handful of months ago. So that's what will be coming up on for the biweekly podcast. For the What If episode, we'll be doing What If Arisa Hoshinki did not get injured uh, and was still wrestling so uh, that is going to be an absolute fun one. That one may go a while, which I'm all for, because I can't wait to uh, start writing down my ideas, and I can't wait to hear your ideas as well. Our roundtable discussion will be our top five Wonder of Stardom championship matches of all time. And uh, as, far as, as far as alternate commentary goes, Rob, would you like to let the listeners know what your two matches are? 
Um, honestly, Matt, I will tell them what we are watching this week um, because I've already forgotten what my uh, what my second match was. I'm sure I announced it, and now I'm terrified that I'm going to say it wrong because I've completely forgotten what it was. No, you didn't. You just announced the first one. So why don't you go first, and then I'll do my two, and then I'll do our All Japan match, and maybe that'll give you a little more time for you to remember. If not, no big deal. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. So on um, a week on Monday, as we record, um, we will be going back in time to watch Tam Nakano and Io Shirai against Kagetsu and Natsu Sumire in an exploding bat match. Yes. To my knowledge, the only stardom death match um, in history and one that they are that they haven't uh, de- like had any inclination to uh, to repeat. It's going to be a very, very fun time. I'm very excited to watch it. It's a match I've never seen. And uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen it either, you can uh, come along for the ride with us. Yeah, there you go. There you go, my friend. So my two matches that I have picked, uh, I picked a match that I absolutely love. I rant and rave how great this match is. Um, we're not going to be going too, too far back in time. Uh, this is a matchup. Again, I, I love this match. A lot of people, because of the finish, not the finish, but like the result, kind of left a, a bad taste in people's mouth, which I understand. But we're going to be going back to uh, just a few months ago, Rob. Champion versus champion. Title for title, the ultimate challenge, Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> World of Stardom champion, Tam Nakano versus Wonder of champion, uh, Stardom champion, Mina Shirakawa. I absolutely love that match. Uh, again, obviously because of the result. Some people are like, I don't understand why you built Mina. All right, we're, we're, we've done a whole podcast on it. Regardless, the match is fantastic, and I can't wait to go back and call that with you. And speaking of great matches that are for the Wonder of Stardom champion uh, championship, matchup that kind of gets overlooked because of just how great these wonder of stardom championship matches have been over the past three or four years we're going to be doing arisa hoshinki defending against jungle kiona so uh those two matches i'm really looking forward to as well as some exploding uh baseball bat death match with you so also we're going to be doing for the uh the the fifth alternate commentary, which we usually dive into the world of either All Japan Women or All Japan Pro Wrestling. So paying a tribute to one Terry Funk is a match I've never, or I've seen it only one time. I think the last time I've seen this, it was on VHS. So this is how long ago this was, but I just remember the heat in the crowd being absolutely crazy. Terry Funk teaming with his brother, Dory Funk Jr., to take on the tag team of The Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher. It's a match that's very well lauded, very, very bloody, a match that we will not be seeing many hammerlocks, many uh, spinning, you may see a spinning toll, but you you, you get my drift, but yeah, I have not seen this match. It's got to be well over 20 years, and uh, I just remember the crowd, I believe it was in uh, Budokan, was just absolutely crazy. The Funks were crazy over his baby faces, and Sheik Abdul the Butcher were two of the scariest people in all of wrestling. Uh, and then you throw in an absolute crazy chaotic brawl. I'm excited to uh, go back in time with you, sir, to uh, call that one with you, my friend. Absolutely. And uh, you're right. That has given me inspiration for what my second alternate commentary is going to be. Um, now, I was unfortunately in Edinburgh, when uh, Stardom put out their Stardom Sunshine pay-per-view uh, in Yogi National Stadium, um, or National Gymnasium, should I say, that saw the main event of the Loser Must Leave Unit Steel Cage 12-man tag team match between Awedatai and Queen's Quest. Therefore, Matt, we are going back in time, even even closer 
to June. Um, and we are going to be looking at that main event. Azumi Hina, Lady C, Miyu Amasaki, Sayakamitani, and Utami versus the Iwata Tai team of Momo Watanabe, Natsukatora, Rina Ruaka, Saki Kashima, and Starlight Kid, all in a cage. So uh, that is what we are going to be looking at for my second alternate commentary. Now, Rob, I want to give you and our listeners a disclaimer. I've watched that match four times, and I've cried at the ending all four times. So I don't, I can't guarantee I will. I can't guarantee I won't. <laughs> uh, you're the, the, obviously, there was not a camera on me when uh, these other three, or these other three or four times I viewed it has happened. So there's a possibility at the very end of this match I may be moved to tears, which just goes to show you how great that storyline was uh, with the widow tie and Queens quest, especially with Utami, Momo and uh, Saya Kamatani. So, uh, Oh boy, I'm getting from getting all misty eyed over here. Just thinking about it. So, Oh man, I'm super excited as always for these alternate commentaries and just the entire Patreon for the month of September. seems like we're as always, my friend, we were loaded with some fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a very, very, very good month. Um, just to sort of cap this part off, um, the remainder of this week. So obviously, our free pay off free podcast will drop for patrons on Thursday, the thirty first of August, and for on the free feed on the first of September. The roundtable will drop for our ten dollar and up patrons on the second of September. And the What If, the Io Shirai What If, that is going to drop on Sunday the 3rd. So we have got an absolute jam-packed week this week in terms of the patron. So, yeah, if you haven't already gone and checked it out, now is the perfect time to go and check out over 100 bonus episodes of the Stardom cast. Um, Let's move on then to a little bit of news. There's only a little smidgen of news and that is concerning as it always seems to be at the moment Kyrie. um now we talked well we were going to talk before i couldn't do the podcast last week and um, we were going to talk about how stardom wasn't really on the radar for Kyrie. i know that she has um an appearance booked in gleet um where i know she's taking on uh, haruki kurumi from um from prominence um and two other people in a six woman tag Janai Kai, I believe, is also on the other side. I think she's teaming with uh, Nanai Takahashi at Gleet. Um she's also doing the All Japan Wrestling show, but Stardom was conspicuous by his absence. However, she has posted on Twitter, Kyrie, that she had a sit-down meeting with Rossi Ogawa and sort of alluded to one more stardom match. And I think if it would be very unfortunate would were it be that Kyrie was leaving Japan, you know, as many people, many, many people believe that she is, if she was leaving Japan and not wrestling that one final match in stardom. And the reason I've brought this up, Matt, I feel like we, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the voyages of Kyrie for lack of a better pun. Um, that was awesome. That was awesome, by the way. Yes. Thank you very much. Great. You you sail the high seas for that one, brother. <laughs> oh, stop it, you. Um, <laughs> my, my question to you is, if if you are Rossi and you have got Kyrie in for one big match... Who do you have her take on? I think I know who you would have her take on, but I want to hear you say it first. You ready? <clears throat> Clear my throat for it. 
Billiken best. All right, next thing. <laughs> next thing. Bless him. Fuki Death seems to be the butt of a lot of our jokes. <laughs> we love her. We love her. There's so many matches to go with. Like, I really want to see a Kyrie versus Saeed match for a zillion different reasons. Obviously, this is her final match in stardom. And I don't know if you have. Do you have in your new segment, Rob, with this countdown clock on uh, on Stardom's Twitter pages? I've seen it, yes. Okay, that I don't know if you've had this in the new segment. I think that's what it is. I think it's going to be unveiling. Kyrie's going to have a final match in Stardom. Again, I'd love to see Momo Watanabe. I'd love to see you know her finish everything off with Utami. I'd love to see, obviously, Saya's injured. The Saya match with maybe her putting Saya over clean is something I'd want to see. But I think the match that's going to draw the most attention and really end uh, Kyrie leaving in a bang is uh, her and Julia. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what I thought you were going to say. And uh, I think anyone that watches Stardom or has even a fleeting interest in Stardom would be very, very excited by that match. Now, uh, obviously, you know, I've talked ad nauseum about my own personal feelings of uh, the inconsistencies in Kyrie's booking. Um, you know, the fact that she's only lost one match in stardom, only been pinned once uh, since her return, and that was against Mercedes Monet at a New Japan uh, show for the IWGP Women's Championship. I think we are both of the opinion, especially if Kyrie is on the outs and she is returning to the WWE and that, you know, God bless her. I hope that her run is going to be fantastic. I hope that they treat her better than they did towards the end of her pre- uh, prior run. She has to put Julia over, surely. I agree. Uh, I agree. And like I said, I think that's what this, as we're recording, we're about like one day and a few hours away from this clock countdown. And I think that's what it is. I think that it is going to be the unveiling that Kyrie's going to have a final date with stardom. And it's going to be her and Julia. I think that's a big announcement. But while I'm talking about it, Rob, what do you think? The, uh, other than maybe Chris Jericho coming into stardom. I mean, however, <laughs> if, if that happens, I think we should take credit for it, right? I mean, we Absolutely. were on show, You know what I mean? We All we did is really build up stardom for that hour we were there. Six degrees of separation. <laughs> there it is. So we get that Chris Jericho versus Billiken death match. There it is. This <laughs> <laughs> misses the Judas effect and she gets rolled up. That's the finish. Absolutely. Um, what, what was my question? What, uh, <laughs> we're off the rails already, brother. What do you think that uh, that clock is, that countdown is? I mean, it could be any number of things. Is it a new Meltier World Tour? Um, oh, my God. Oh, I'm just fainting. <laughs> I know. Well, um, <laughs> I'm I'm surprised you're uh, you're still okay with Meltier after the news that Tai Chi and uh, Tam Nakano were going on a date or Tam Nakano should I say? Um, is it? I mean, it, it literally could be anything. I think if it is going to be the announcement of a Jul- of a Kyrie final that I think personally she is going to fight Julia. I think she'll probably fight Julia for the New Japan Strong Title after Julia successfully defends it against Risa Sarah on Sunday, um, and I think Kyrie will be the one to challenge afterwards, whether it's by video or whether she storms the ring and challenges Julia. I imagine that's what we're going to do. In terms of that countdown clock, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. A very, very boring and bland suggestion is that it's a pay-per-view announcement. Um, Maybe it's going to be the announcement of um, the Dream Queendom show at the end of this year. Um, obviously, we still haven't had that confirmed that they are going to run Sumo Hall at the end of the year. They'll be very, very surprised if they if they aren't going to. We are only four months away from uh, from that date. I'd be surprised if 
they don't announce that at a pay-per-view. Stardom seems to have a pay-per-view and then, then announce another pay-per-view. Um, and I think, unless I'm very much mistaken, they've announced pay-per-views up until the end of October. They've got that Halloween one announced for the 29th, I believe. So I think the chances are it is some sort of event or it's going to be something really, really anticlimactic, and it's going to be the opening of a pop-up store or something like that. Fingers crossed it is something slightly more interesting, Matt. You just gave me an idea, buddy. If they're going to run a big event, if they're going to run, yeah, obviously, the announcement of Dream Queendom, instead of Sumo Hall, maybe you go to Budokan Hall. Could be, could be. Obviously, haven't run Budokan since 2021. A Joshi company before that hadn't run it since I can't remember if it was 97 or 95. Um, so obviously, still, still huge, and it will be really interesting as well with the relaxation of COVID measures. I would love to see the crowd that they draw, and you know, on top of that, I wonder what card that they would bring out for a Budokan show. Um, you know, you've got to put your big guns in there. Are we going to see, like, for example, a mercedes Monet return fight? Um, obviously, we saw spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen the show, but we saw her in, uh, we saw her in the crowd at All In, so it does look like she will eventually turn up in AEW, whether it's for one match or whether it's a, a full-time contract. Maybe we'll see one more mercedes Monet match, and maybe that'll be, you know, the big draw for Budokan or one of the big draws for Budokan. Um, maybe that's what the countdown is for. Maybe it's the return of uh, of Mercedes Monet. Who knows? Who knows? I just had an idea, buddy. You're talking about big events and all in. Chris Jericho sang him, himself down the ramp all in. Meltier has a few different songs. So Tam comes down to one song and Nasa Boy comes down to the other and they both sing each other to the ring. Oh, if that's not... If that's not printing money, Bushiroad, I don't know what it is. I just gave you the formula to Coca-Cola here, folks. Come on. I cannot describe how much I would hate that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Edit that out, sir. Edit that out. However, um, I must admit, before we before we move on to the uh, to the shows that we're going to review today, um, obviously I did mention that uh, there's a thing on, I can't remember if it's the Stardom YouTube channel or the New Japan YouTube channel. They seem to be uh, leaning into the Tai Chi and Tam thing. And Tai Chi declared his love to uh, Tam and Tam, pretty much turned him down flat and then they they've arranged to go on a date i believe it's going to be filmed for whatever youtube channel it's for um but <laughs> there was there was a tweet and i can't remember who put it up but it's it's the best line um so there is a picture on twitter and it's tam standing next to tai chi and tai chi is as um sort of retweeted it and put we look like a couple here laughy face and tam straight away messaged underneath like a couple of besties and i was like oh my god oh i'm done oh tai chi like i have never seen someone friend zoned so emphatically and so quickly as with those few words but tam nakano has my respect that was uh well done, Tam. And if you can't hear because my microphone is all weird, I'm clapping. Um, Matt, 
Rob, real quick about this. You know what I want to see? I want to see the reaction of this date video from Tai Chi's mentor. You know who Tai Chi's mentor is, right? <laughs> You're telling me that you want to see Kawada's reaction video to this date at the aquarium or wherever they're going. Damn right. You never see. I saw Kawada before a big Budokan Hall match against uh, Misawa Kabashi going on dates with the Kira Hokuto, did you? No, no come on. It's serious over here, folks. <laughs> I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I think they've missed a trick not having Natsupoy and Yoshinobu Kanemaru going on a whiskey tasting date. Um, but that's that's just me. That's just me. I feel like that would have been printing money, especially. We need, I think we. Need- I think we need to cut off the podcast because we're literally giving away so many ideas here to Bushi Road. <laughs> Absolutely, Bushi Road. Obviously, uh, we we do come at a very very cheap rate. Um, so <laughs> just call us. We'll we'll talk. Um, let's talk then about the five star Grand Prix. It's rolling on. We've got three dates to talk about during today's podcast and then obviously it is it is a weekday it is a day ending in y and therefore stardom must pay-per-view um so we'll talk as well about stardom's upcoming five-star special in hiroshima which is coming up on sunday the 3rd of september as well and you know for what is effectively a b-level pay-per-view and again no disrespect to uh to stardom but this you know it's not one of their bigger shows yet they have loaded that card to a point where once again we are talking about potential show of the year contender so very exciting to talk through that with you and so yeah and the saturday show is loaded as well i was like oh geez like what a weekend to be a stardom fan because that saturday show is loaded and sunday is like oh my goodness they're doing bad to back nights at hiroshima the first so the saturday show which is the second of september that's from uh, the prefectorial fukuyama industrial exchange center big rose which might be my favorite name for uh, for a building ever um but that on that card and we are going to go into a little bit more detail in the in the previews later on in the show but on that card is mayu versus amisori momo watanabe versus julia mariah may versus utami and azumi versus mina shirakawa now, just off those four matches, that's already a banger. And that's before we get into that pay-per-view where, again, we have got some absolutely blitzing matches. You know, aside from the three title matches we've got on that card, four, sorry, with the uh, with the high-speed title, uh, we've also got three really, really, really interesting five-star matchups as we head towards the end of this tournament because... Honestly, Matt, we are looking at the end of this tournament. Uh, Natsukatora, I think, has only got one more match left. She's six and two. Siori and New, I believe, has only got two. Um, sorry, Sioriano. I'm going to get these right. Sioriano. Um, I believe she's only got two matches left. So for quite a few competitors, we are reaching the the climax of the five star. Honestly. I could not tell you which way it's going to go. We're going to read through uh, the current standings at the end of the uh, at the end of night twelve, and honestly, especially blue block, like there's about half the block, over half the block that could still win this, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, but let's start with the five star Grand Prix night ten. Uh, this was from Sunday, the twentieth of August 2023 in Kira Mess, Numazo, Shizuoka, uh, in front of 378 people. It's only the second time Stardom have run 
this venue and uh, this is the largest venue they've had, the largest attendance, sorry, that they have had in this venue. So I'll do what I always do. I'll read through all the results and then we'll talk in a little bit more detail of those key matches and matches you need to check out if you haven't seen the show as of yet. So opening up, we have a tag team match. The Queen's Quest team of Miyu Amasaki and Utami Haishista defeated the team of Hanako and Saki Kashima with Utami getting the pinfall over Hanako with the air raid crash in 5 minutes and 57 seconds. Um, we then had a six-woman tag team match with the Stars team of Hanan, Kogama and Saya Ida defeating the Oedatai team of Rina Ruwaka and Starlight Kid with Saya Eden. No, I'm joking. With Hannon getting the pinfall over Rina with 17 in 9 minutes and 41 seconds. We followed that with a tag team match with the Club Venus team of Mariah May and Wakasukiyama defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Natsupoi and Yuna Mizumori uh, with Mariah May pinning Yuna with the happily ever after tombstone pile driver in eight minutes and 20 seconds um the next so the third from the top we have a six-woman tag match the team of Megan Bain, Maysera and Tekla defeating the Queen's Quest team of Azumi, Hina and Lady C uh, with Megan Bain hitting the F5 on Lady C in 12 minutes and four seconds we then move to our two five-star Grand Prix block matches um the first hazuki needing desperately to win this match and pretty much every other match that she has uh going 0-3 into this match she gets her first victory of the tournament defeating amisori who sits at four points um with the vertical drop brain buster in 14 minutes and two seconds and then in your main event of the evening natsuka tora moves to eight points defeating maiwe watani who stays on five in 13 minutes and seven seconds with the swanton bomb now before we talk about anything matt um i don't know if you have seen this um but going round on it is either twitter or instagram um and if you haven't seen it i actively encourage you to uh to check it out because it is one of the cutest most ho- wholesome things you will ever see um it is about a woman who owns some ducks and you're probably thinking rob where on earth are you going with this i'll tell you um basically this duck was rescued i believe and is just completely infatuated with its owners which is beautiful to see and they now have a game where the woman will throw the duck into a pond or into the little paddling pool, the duck will instantly get out, run back towards the woman, and they will do the same over and over again. And it's a really wholesome video. And all I can think of during that is Megan Bain and May Sarah, because honestly, May Sarah has got to the point now where she's terrified of Megan Bain picking her up and launching her over the top rope onto people. But she also loves it and is starting to beckon to her to do it. And honestly, I think on the undercard during this tournament, one of the most entertaining things has been the chemistry between Megan Bain and May Sarah, Matt. You didn't, like, I know uh, we were texting back and forth yesterday. You didn't see the undercard match from the 27th with Megan Bain and uh, May Sarah, did you? I didn't, I'm afraid. Okay, I'm going to forget to talk about it. It wasn't must-see. I, I it was Lady C and somebody else at the top of my head. My notes are a little bit further. But they do the spot where Lady C uh, uh, locks up with uh, May Sarah. Obviously, Lady C is much taller. She has the advantage. So when she locks up, she starts pushing her towards the ropes in the middle of the ring. And Megan Bain just puts her foot 
on the naysayer's back and was like pushing her saying, nope, you got this, you got this, you got this. So now you can see the chemistry <laughs> is getting even better. And it's just like a great comedy duo. But I like the uh, the duck reference where it's like she just keeps getting launched over the top rope. <laughs> and I think Su- I think it happened to Suzu Suzuki one or two times, like the deathmatch queen. Suzu Suzuki did it once or twice, and she's like, no, nah, bro, that's not my thing. Do it to May Sarah. But uh, yeah, it's really funny considering the fact that, like, especially on the entrance where May comes out, she's all happily bubbly. You know, she's showing what she has written on her, written on her tapes, and she's laughing and smiling, and it's just, you know, she's just, like, such a lovable wrestler and phenomenal in the ring, absolutely fantastic. And then Megan Bain just comes in with, like, this aura of just, like, holy jeez, like, she can beat up everybody, not only in the ring, but in the entire building. And just like the yin and yang chemistry, like it's not supposed to work, but it does, just makes it that much more entertaining. Entertaining, And obviously the crux of these matches, especially from the beginning up until, you know, the end of uh, coming up in the next four or five weeks of these shows are the five-star Grand Prix. So you kind of look at the card and you're entertained by, you know, the three or four undercard matches and then you get to your final few matches. And obviously this uh, five-star Grand Prix has over-delivered as we thought it would, but it just makes for an entertaining duo and entertaining match and something completely different on the card is the chemistry between these two and i just find it absolutely hilarious and i didn't think stardom uh i don't think anybody thought that this is what we would have here i think they kind of just got thrown together and hey let's see what happens and the fact that i mean may sarah she's got great chemistry obviously with suzu suzuki you know we'll preview it at the end of the show where uh that's going to be a banger of a tag title match against uh natsu boy and soria new and then, uh, obviously, she's got really good chemistry with Micah as well from that six-person tag match uh, That uh, from whenever they tag up as, uh, you know, the, six, the six-person tag matches. And now we throw something completely different in here. Megan Bain, you know, coming over from the States. See, there's a language barrier. There's got to be, like, a psychology barrier there. Not a barrier, but, like, differences in psychology. But it works. It works. And sometimes you just never know if you throw something at the wall, it sticks. And this one sticks, and everybody is really having a good time with it. Absolutely. Like I've said, there's there's a lot of different relationships and lots of different storylines and chemistries that make the undercard, you know, not necessarily compulsory viewing, but they do reward you for watching. Like Saki Kashima in herself is an entertaining watch. Obviously, you've got Sayurida putting on a fantastic performance every time she's in the ring. You've got the Unimizumori and Cosmic Angels storyline. So there is a lot of things to watch that will reward you for watching, and it's stardom. The chances of them having really bad matches is significantly, significantly lower than most other companies because everyone on this roster is fantastic. Um, I'm going to delve, Matt, straight into these five-star matches because... Honestly, both these matches were great in different ways. This Hazuki versus Amisori match was everything I wanted it to be. And I think Amisori, obviously, she's having a tournament where we did say she'd be the one that ate the most pinfalls in that block because she's in that block and it's the loaded block, the loaded red block where, you know, you just don't know who is going to get a win where because there's just that much talent in there. Yet Amisori is quietly having an absolutely banging tournament. You know, she's had she has a great match here with Hazuki. You know, catching that code breaker into that suplex was phenomenal. Such a feat of strength. And she's she's someone who I think has very quietly over the last couple of months been improving and just 
sort of getting herself to that sort of upper mid-card area. She's probably still the one to eat the pinfalls at the moment in God's eye, only because I feel like Saki Kashima is, you know, there's a storyline with her. However, you feel like she's a completely different wrestler than the one that held the future belt, what, less than 100 days ago? You know, lost to Rena at New Bloods. This feels like a completely different Amisori, and she's showcased it fantastically, first against here and then against Starlight Kid. But for me, Hazuki can't do anything wrong. Like, she's just, the moment she steps in that ring, it's on. And she met someone here who was willing to not only take the kicks to the face, the biffs to the face and all of that, but someone who can give it back tenfold because there was moments when those chops, when she's laying in those proper, proper chops to Hazuki's chest, you're thinking, how much more of this can Hazuki take? Jesus. And then it ramps up into this fantastic closing sequence and uh, we get ultimately Hazuki's first two points of the tournament, a two points she needed. Um, but I have got a little theory as we head into those final nights. But Matt, what did you think of this? Yeah, I thought this was really good. You talked about the chops. And if you remember how the, the machine gun chops really came about, the psychology of it makes sense. Hazuki uh, puts Ami in the cross face. Uh, Ami gets to the ropes, but Hazuki being Hazuki does not let anybody breath, uh, give a breather. So you're in the ropes to technically break the hold. Hazuki sees that as a spot for me to do more violence. So she does her signature face wash uh, boots rate combination, and that fires Ami up to start throwing, again, a myriad, a myriad of chops. So I really like where they put that in and the psychology of it, where it's Hazuki would be like, all right, yeah, you're going to get the ropes, no problem. I'm going to keep kicking your face. And then Ami is like, oh, yeah, you want to kick my face in? I'm going to cave your chest in with about 400 of these chops. Uh, and, of course, you know, Hazuki feeds and eats them like a champ, uh, as well as Ami Sori beating and everything for Hazuki like a champ. Uh, get, towards the end, it, got, it looked like it got a little jumbled. looked like maybe there might have been a little miscommunication on some of the spots, but they did a great job of covering them back up and getting the match back on track. Ultimately, though, I thought it was, you know, you talked about Ami Sori showing off her power, catching the code breaker into the suplex, and then really her, her working that high-angle Boston Crab and really working on Hazuki's lower back with a torture rack. But ultimately, and I like how they uh, they built to like Hazuki just can't get his brain buster. She's trying everything, knowing so desperate to get to the brain buster because that's what gets her a majority of the wins. And finally, it took a code breaker from the top rope to uh, open up that opportunity for Hazuki to finally slam the door shut on that brain buster in about 14 minutes to get the win. Uh, yeah, really great match. It's these two throwing bombs. Uh, this was a solid four stars for me, good sir. What I particularly enjoyed was the very subtle facials of Hazuki and the more desperate she gets, the closer we get, A, to the to the time limit, and B, the fact that she can't get this brain buster away because, and she's really selling the fact that, right, I'm 0-3. If I go 0-4, I am out of this tournament. Um, And I, that was another thing that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed um, from both wrestlers, um, but especially Hazuki. I gave it four and a quarter, actually, Matt. Um, I don't know whether my uh, my bias for Hazuki at the moment has slightly coloured my opinion, but uh, I must admit I am all on the Amisori train because I think she's done an absolutely tremendous job in uh, in the tournament thus far. And speaking of someone who is just completely reinvigorated, Natsukatora. Like, going into this tournament, 
Um, even though Tora had improved, even though Oeditai is light years different from uh, from the most potentially the most boring incarnation we had of the group back in uh, in 2020 and early 2021 i still didn't quite view tor as a threat and uh, i don't know why i just i just didn't see it here and during this tournament stardom well done you have built tor in the space of these eight matches into a credible credible threat and someone who genuinely you know spoilers for the next show that we're going to be reviewing if Natsukatora were to take the red belt from Tam I wouldn't hate it I wouldn't hate it at all because not only is Tora putting on fantastic matches reminding everyone that she is a fantastic wrestler her matches against Suri this one against Mayu here and genuinely the match against Natsupoy I really enjoyed as well um not only all of that she's also coming across naturally as a badass to the point where the crowds are actually responding to her, which is really important to the point where after she beats Tam, I think she says to the crowd, if you're liking the heels, this company's over or something like that. You know, it's obvious even the crowd are like, this is a different Torah. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like she doesn't care She's able to put on fantastic matches. She looks naturally like a badass. It seems that everything is coming together for her. And I don't want to say that I called it, Matt. I don't want to say that I called it. You know me, I don't like blowing my own trumpet, but goddamn, I was right. Where do we sit? We're halfway through the tournament. Who is top of the block? Natsukatora. I called it, my friend. I get so few victory laps on this podcast that I am taking an... A very ill-deserved one here because I said that at the halfway point of the tournament, Tora would be dominant and would be at the top or near the top. Didn't I say that? Rob, I think we both said and agreed when we did our five-star preview that uh, come the final night of the tournament, that Tora would be somewhere in contention to make it to the final. And she has Hazuki on the final night. And we all, I think we both agreed that Hazuki would be the one to knock her off. So considering the fact of how much we get wrong on this podcast, especially this year for the Cinderella tournament and this uh, five-star, the fact that me and you are both somewhat, are not somewhat dead on point. Cause I think if Tor gets one more win, I think she's into the final, something like that. Cause she's blown by the block. And obviously we'll get to the results here after these three days. But um, yeah, uh, the fact that we got that one, right. You said you didn't want to uh, toot your own horn. Rob, I quote Roddy Roddy Piper a lot on this show. I'm going to right now. Roddy Roddy Piper said on an episode of Tuesday night Titans, where he said, Vince, they say you're not supposed to toot your own horn. I say, who better know the tune, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Piper's the man. But yeah, me and you were both uh, pretty well dead set on that. But yeah, you're absolutely right what they've done with Tor. And I actually just, uh, I watched her match uh, just with Natsupoy just yesterday. And I tweeted out, they've literally taken this tournament and they have made a new main eventer. Like as Absolutely. if the rosters, as if the rosters not loaded enough. Obviously, you know she has these matches with Mayu, Tam, and Natsupoy. You know we're obviously we'll get to the Mayu match here in just a moment. But uh, I completely agree with you. They literally have taken Tora, and especially not only just this tournament. I think really where it began is once they started really building up this feud to the loser leaves cage match. You see Tora mm. really getting more violent, really more aggressive, really rallying up what is essentially the only true heel group in Sardom and Oedo Tai really getting up in Utami's face anytime that uh, Oedo Tai would beat 
Queen's Quest in a match, he would get on the microphone and really taunt them, even to the point where once Saki lost the cage match, instead of being like, oh no, our fallen friend, she looked at it for two seconds and she's like, guess what? Saki's the one that screwed the pooch. She's the one that lost. Let's gang beat her. And that's what a heel leader does. Here's Saki that loses the match. She's the last one there. She's dead to right. She's in the middle of the cage, beaten to death. And what does Toro do? She gathers everybody up and just starts, you know, kicking a kicking a person when they're down. Again, let's quote somebody else from the 80s. Like Bobby Heenan would always say, don't punch a man when he's down. Kick him. It's a lot easier. <laughs> and that's what Toro did. And that was really the genesis of this. And I think that's was our mindset. We finally got one right. Even a broken clock's right twice a day, Rob. We finally got one right that uh, we said kind of going this tour, the way tour has been built, they can do a great job building her up. And then, you know, obviously she's she's having the best matches of her career. She looks like she's in great shape. It looks like her core is getting stronger and her shoulders and her arms are looking more defined. And she's tanning, Rob. And she's tanning, you know, from a wrestler to a wrestler. Tanning is so important, folks. But uh, yeah, she's having great matches here. And the fact that she's in this match in the main event, Mayu Watani, who's won this tournament in 2018, has won everything there is to win. Still currently in the prime of her career and the current IWGP Women's Champion. And she has this great match with Mayu. Doesn't beat her clean. And I, I, that's what I want to see. I, if Tora's going to win these matches, I want her winning dirty. I want her winning cheap. Very much like Kagetsu, using the mist, using a wedo tie, but blinding the referee so he doesn't see. In all three of these matches, the referee gets blinded. So the referee's not there to call the decision or the disqualification. You can't call a foul that you don't see. And the one thing I like is when Tora's doing these promos... There is the mist all over Mayu's face, Tam's face, and not some boys. I was like, not only did I beat you, but I left my mark on you. And what a great job. I thought this match was fantastic. Uh, this the, the kicks back and forth with Mayu throwing the super kick and that sidekick to Tora's shoulder tackles and clotheslines was great. The DVDs and the Death Valley bomb that Tora do, they're just, I mean, they just hit completely different. All these matches you always usually start out with some Oedo tie violence, like on the outside, like you always say. A widow tie's got a widow tie. It's not an official widow tie match if there isn't some sort of crazy brawl on the floor. And nobody is doing that better in stardom than Tora. And then I like the psychology Then when Tora throws them in the ring, she'll get a little heat on them, but then they start building their comeback. And they start working over Tora a little bit. Again, we saw in this Mayu match, the Tam match, and the Natsupoya match we'll talk about earlier. And that just shows you, because now you're just like, for the baby face, if you're in the crowd or you're watching at home, you're like, get him, Mayu, get him, Tam, get him, Natsupoya, because she cheated for that advantage. And now she's throwing this wrestler all throughout the, the chairs in the arena. And then they start building the comeback. And now you're rooting and they're going back and forth and which way is it going to go? Which way is it going to go? And then we would see, and, you know, in this case, Mayu really starting to work towards her or towards her moveset, getting her ready to use the moonsault or hitting the moonsault. And then it looks like Tora's on the ropes. looks like Mayu's getting ready to put Tora away. And what happens? Tora pulls the ref down. Mayu gets misted. We see the, uh, the DVD for two. And I like how, again, Mayu uh, is obviously a main eventer. So she gets hit with the miss, gets hit with the DVD. You figured that'd be the finish. Mayu kicks out. So then you're like, yes, a glimmer of hope for our hero, Mayu. And Tora's like, absolutely not. She goes to the top. It's that swanton bomb. Shade over 13 minutes. Great psychology and a great way to build up a true, true heel. A true, true heel. A true, true badass in Natsuka Tora. I have this match at four stars. And I absolutely love what they're doing with Tora in this tournament. In complete agreement with you, four stars. I think, A, you know, you want to have someone in there that's going to showcase Tora's strength and dominance. Mayu is the best person to have in there. Not only is she, you know, 
completely unerringly lovable, but she also sells like no one else in the company. But on top of that, I think as well, there's a culmination of Tora finally reaching that point that she was at when she got injured. I feel like since the comeback, she hasn't quite reached that form. And I think that's just coming at the right time for her. And I think as well, she's found that balance between the Oeritai cheating and still putting on captivating matches. Because one of my main issues in 2020 and 2021 was that the shenanigans and the Oeritai stuff, it wasn't inventive. It was just, it was boring. It was tired. It was the same stuff over and over again. And you forgot very quickly how good a wrestler Tora actually is. And now we're not getting lashings of cheating. We're not getting Ruaka hitting everyone with the vegetable crate. We've got the mist, which I don't mind at all, especially when you've, you know, you can build it into different spots. Like, you know, she misses the mist against Tam or Tam kicks the green mist out of her face and then she gets the red one. Um, you've got Nadzaboy spitting water at the mist to try and dilute it, which I thought was brilliant. So we're actually working these into stories and changing it. That's what I want. She's finding that balance. And again, you're absolutely right, man. We're building someone who can legitimately be in that main event scene and not feel out of place. And it's, you know, that's exactly what it should be. Because in all honesty, you look at the leaders of the factions in stardom, you've got Suri, Mayu Iwatani, Tam Nakano, Julia, um, Mina Shirakawa, and, Owe- and uh, Natsuka Tora. And of those women, who is the one that you would think, ah, she's not quite there yet? Natsuka Tora, and she's one of the most tenured wrestlers in stardom. You know, that shouldn't be the case, especially for your premier heel group. And now it doesn't feel like that. She's starting to ascend to that level that she needs to be at. So, you know, spoilers, I don't think she makes it to the tournament final. However, this dominant run that she has been on has been tremendous and been really, really fun to watch. Excellent stuff from Natsukatora and from Mayu as well, who uh, isn't getting enough love on this episode. So uh, let's just put this out there. Best seller in the world. We move on then. Uh, We're moving on to night 11 of the Five Star Grand Prix, the 26th of August in Nagoya, Japan, from the Nagoya Congress Center Event Hall, uh, with an attendance of 904 people. Your results are as follows. So we've got the Oedetai team of Momo Watanabe and Starlight Kid, Black Desire, defeating the team of Hanako and Saya Ida, with Momo Watanabe submitting Hanako with the crossface chicken wing in 7 minutes and 11 seconds. We've then got another tag team match with the club Venus team of Mariah May and Waka Sukiyama defeating the Queen's Quest team of Lady C and Miyu Amasaki with Mariah May getting the pin over Lady C with the happily ever after Paldra, Tombstone Paldriver, sorry, in 7 minutes and 34 seconds. The God's Eye team of Amisori and Suri defeated the Cosmic Angels team of Natsupoy and Yuna Mizumori with Amisori pinning Yuna Mizumori with the blue thunder bomb. That was in uh, 10 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, we've got another Megan Bain squash match in effect. Uh, six-woman tag match. Megan Bain, Mace Air and Tekla defeating the Stars team of Mayu, Hanan and Momokogo with Hanan taking the pinfall 
off of the F5, rather surprisingly, in 9 minutes and 15 seconds. We then kick into the three five-star Grand Prix matches. Um, in red block, Natsukatora moved to 10 points, defeating the champion, the world of stardom champion, Tam Nakano, who remains on five points with the Swanton Bomb in 11 minutes and 16 seconds. We've then got action from blue block with the wonder of stardom champion Mirai moving to six points, defeating Julia, who remains on five with a vicious lariat in 12 minutes and 17 seconds. And then finally, we have another blue block match with Micah moving to five points, defeating Utami Hayashista in, uh, sorry, who remains on four points with the Michinoku Driver 2 in 13 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, Matt, on this undercard, what should people be checking out? The undercard was solid as usual. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But uh, as far as, you know, if you're stuck on time, the one match to go see would be Natsupo and Yunamizumori versus Shuri and Ami Sori. Obviously, Natsupo and Shuri have really great chemistry. A lot of people's favorite matches from this entire tournament. Is Shuri versus Natsupoi. Ami Sori, you mentioned earlier in the show, partner, just her uh, improvement, kind of going under the radar. She was great here as well. And uh, we're obviously a huge fan of Yuna Mizumori and what she has been doing. And uh, hopefully she does get that spot in Cosmic Angels. So this way she's a part of the starting roster full time. So I think she blends in so well, not only with Cosmic Angels, but with just about every wrestler on this loaded stardom roster. So if there's one match you're going to check out from the undercard, everything was solid. Again, it's stardom. You're not going to have a bad match. Um, but the uh, not point in Yuna uh, Mizumori match versus Shuri and Amisori is, in my opinion, the best match of this undercard. But uh, now if there's anything you want to add, partner, let's get into these three fantastic five-star matches. So we start with Tora and Tam Nakano. Tora, of course, moving on to 10 points, defeating Tam. A really good match. Again, I didn't quite enjoy it as much as the Mayu match, but I do understand, obviously, you want to keep your champion relatively strong. It makes perfect sense for Tora to win here. It sets up a title defense for Tam moving forward. Obviously, we've got a few shows before the end of the year. We've got the Halloween show. Uh, we've got the Nagoya show coming up as well. I do think that Tam will uh, will defend against Mayu. At that Nagoya show, obviously Tam's never beaten Mayu in singles competition. It makes sense to beat her for the red belt in her hometown. Um, so I do anticipate Tam versus Mayu, especially after they've gone to a time limit draw in the uh, in the five star at Corican. I would be amazed if Tora isn't the challenger after that at the Halloween show. It makes perfect sense to have Tam defend against the leader of a Wedatai against the in the Dark Knight pay-per-view or something. It's something very, very cheesily named, but the Halloween one anyway. Um, but overall, again, another great showing for Natsukatora, Matt. 
Yeah, this was uh, violent, quick, really, because obviously, I mean, that's where you kind of need to uh, make sense. You know, right from the beginning, Tor jumps Tam, sends her to the floor, uh, hits Tam with a Samoan drop onto the floor. Uh, you know, Tor just dominates her. Again, pitches her back in the ring, and I like the Tor uh, formula, especially with, you know, some of your favorite wrestlers, you know, Tam, Natsupoy, Mayu, back, you know, pretty much not on back-to-back nights, but basically their last three five-star matches are three of the most beloved uh, wrestlers in all of stardom. So I really like the psychology of her just getting the jump, beating up the uh, her poor opponent all over the ring, only for them to make their comeback. And uh, eventually Tam hits this beautiful pump knee that sends Tor to the floor. And then Tam's like, all right, you want to fight on the floor? That's fine with me, because obviously Tam is absolutely out of her mind. She does the high crossbody to the floor. And then uh, the two of them basically spend the majority of the middle of the match just beating the crap out of each other. Tam hitting several violent shootings, which she's trying to set up for either the Tiger Suplex or the uh, the Twilight Dream. Psychology makes sense. Working on the neck. Uh, Tor does a great job blocking the Tiger Suplex. And she does, has a really cool spot, so she blocks the Tiger Suplex and then gets wrist control Tam's arm and then is able to pump out this huge, huge lariat. Uh, I really like that. But then Tam winds up firing up, hits uh, several stiff kicks, super kick that sets up to the violent shooting. Tam hits a pump knee and then goes to the top rope. Uh, then Tor grabs the referee and uh, basically says, you know, hey, she's cheating or whatever. That gives an opportunity to pull the ref down. We get the missed blinding spot a la Kigetsu. Kigetsu did it just absolutely fantastic back in 2017, 2018. So you can see that where uh, Tor is channeling the, her old mentor and the old leader of Oedo Tai and former World of Stardom champion Kagetsu. But ultimately, uh, that leads to Tam's downfall. You know, she gets hit with the top rope DVD, uh, Swanton Bomb, and then another DVD that finishes off Tam. Just like in the Mayu match, I had this one four stars, but I agree with your partner. I like the Mayu match just a little bit better. And uh, again, you have defeating the IWGP Women's Champion and the Red Belt Champion. So regardless of what happens with Tora, the rest of this tournament, she can lay claim to getting, and we'll get into it at the end, not two title shots, but really three. Really three. She can lay claim by the time this tournament is over and we're getting to the shows in the fall. She pretty much has three ready-made title shots waiting for her. And uh, we just mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, none of it feels forced, and I am all here for it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I gave it three and three quarters. Um, you know, not only has she got claims now to three titles, but she's also beaten three faction leaders. Um, and she's, you know, beaten them fairly handily. Her match against Siori was great. And then obviously Mayu and Tam on back-to-back shows. Um, it, it's it been a very dominant showing from Tora without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we move on to Mariah and Julia, who if you'd have put into an AI generator, show me a Mariah and Julia match. Show me what a Mariah and Julia match should be. This, Matt, is what would be generated because if you'd have asked me, what do you want to see over the next 12 minutes? I'd have been like, bombs. Just throw arms at each other. And they did. I mean... Even the lariat for the finish was brutal. There was a moment when Julia wriggles out of the mirror mare shock and floors Mirai with a forearm. Julia's forearms were absolutely on fire during this show. Like, she was laying them in stiff to Mirai. But, you know, to Mirai's credit, that's the victories over Julia. Julia, who doesn't eat pinfalls, let's just point out, she ju- she just doesn't eat pinfalls very often at all in stardom. 
That is her second victory in back-to-back five stars against Julia. Mariah has Julia's number, Matt. Uh, Rob, I don't tend to disagree with you, but I disagree with you a little bit. Julia's forearms technically weren't on fire, or else that would have been disqualification. <laughs> I just want to I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Honestly, I know what you mean, partner. You know, we have, we have, we have some fun here on the Stardom cast. Yeah, I believe it was night two of uh, last year's five-star Grand Prix that uh, Mariah defeated Julia, and I think the finish was like two very violent lariats to the neck that set up for the mere Mirai shock, if, if my memory's correct. And obviously, if you're on, it's a little quick little side plug for the Patreon. If you're part of the Patreon, I did cover Julia's entire 2022 uh, five-star win. So uh, that is on there. Um, yeah, this was really good. This You're exactly right. You knew what you were going to get. We had great technical wrestling to start. Obviously, Mirai's a great technical wrestler. She does go to the arm quite often. That sets up for the Mir Mirai, the double wrist lock, Kimura, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm always told that if it has more than one name, it means it works. <laughs> so, uh, but again, I say this a lot. Julia's grappling game is very underrated. And uh, not only did she stay with Mirai on the grappling, she really outgrappled her. And really, she was able to uh, get Mirai down, locked her in the STF. And as uh, this was the beginning of the match, which really piqued my interest because I'm a huge fan of submission grappling and grappling in general. So she locks in the STF. Mariah tries to get out, but when she does, she leaves her arm open to set up for the Bianca. So the way that Julie is able to transition from submission to submission, uh, it never ceases to amaze me, and I never get tired with it. And I, I think that's such a great part of her wrestling game and a part that I don't think en- enough people appreciate it. Yes, Julia does throw bombs. She takes bombs. She does crazy moves like the Glorious Driver and the Northern Lights Bomb. Uh, obviously, she throws very, very heavy strikes which you alluded to earlier on, but I think just her grappling game is something that's very, very underrated. Um, yeah, this was great. You know, Julie hitting the uh, top row butterfly suplex to uh, basically to start really building up her neck work to maybe try to hit either the Falcon arrow or the Northern lights bomb, uh, trying to open that up. But ultimately it just came down to like, all right, enough with this technical wrestling, it's literally turned into a uh, Nick or Nate Diaz fight where it's like, Let's just stand in the middle of the ring. Let's just scrap. And ultimately, that's what it was. It was Julia throwing those forearms where they were or weren't on fire. That remains to be seen. Uh, and then Mariah throwing forearms and just brutal lariats to the point where, like, the finish was almost like a, a version of the Rainmaker. But when Mariah hit the uh, the clothesline for the finish, that brutal, violent clothesline, where Julia threw her legs up and almost fed them to Mariah was the perfect way to for the cover. So it's like not only does she get hit with a brutal lariat, but then also Mariah uses the leverage, you know, uses Julia leverage against her to hook the leg for the three count. And if any of you have li- ever listened to Rob and I in alternate commentary, uh, Rob and I on alternate commentary, we're always very big on hooking the leg, right, Rob? Absolutely. You got to hook the leg. Gotta hook gotta the hook, leg. Got to hook the leg. Had Mariah not hooked the leg the way that she did, I think that Julia would have kicked out, ultimately won. So as much as the violence was, as much as the, you know, the building up to working on Julia's neck, as much as the lariat, you know, can give credit to the finish, I give credit to Mariah being a great technical wrestler and hooking the leg the way she did to finish Julia off in which was a fantastic match, Mr. Goodwin, four and a quarter stars from your Uncle Matt Turner. I believe I gave it the exact same rating once again, Matt. We seem to be in simpatico today, me and you. Let me just have a look. Wrestling ratings, let's have a look. Julia versus Mirai, or did I give it four? Did I give it four? No, I gave it four and a quarter. There you go. See? Just Look at us. I know. Halfway across the world, but even so. 
Um, uh, let's move on then to the main event of the night, which was a predictably fantastic match between Micah and Utami. Uh, Micah again getting a pinfall victory over Utami Hayashishta. Um, uh, my, it's not looking terribly great for uh, for Utami, who so many people, myself included, pegged as reaching the final. But Micah, Jesus, she looks like a different wrestler at the moment she is wrestling at a different level and i am all here for it well correct correct me if i'm wrong is this not four in a row for micah over utami in five stars do you know what that could be a fantastic claim let me just have a quick look you carry on and i'll uh, i'll have a look for you I know she beat her last year, and she beat her in 2021. I'm not sure about 2020, which is the year uh, Otami won the the tournament. But while you're uh, while you're looking on, because I have a theory about this, and of course I will go into one of my crazy crazy predictions for next year. So you just let me know uh, if my prediction on that was right. But yeah, this was great. It was just them throwing bombs. It was them basically testing each other wills and who's better on the shoulder tackles, who's better on the lariats. And I re- it was just it was back and forth. It was a nice 50-50 match. I loved how they built towards uh, Micah Superplex, and I love how Micah on her comeback built to that Buzz Sawyer Ted DiBiase style spinning power slam. I'll never get sick of that. I uh, love. I mean, this crowd they started going. The crowd psychology was great because they built it up, they brought it down, and then they started building it up again. Uh, with the forearm fast, and it looked like they were getting ready to pull back on like one or two, but they realized that was the part where the crowd was getting hot, so they kept going back and forth with the uh, the forearms to milk the crowd, get the crowd psychology in there. Just genius for uh, Utami and Micah listening to the crowd the way that they did to stretch that part out because that's obviously what they wanted to see. Utami hits the air raid crash for two, follows up with a torture rack bomb for two. She tries for the hijack bomb, but Micah's able to escape. She hits a few lariats and then the Ankatoshi for two count. Um, and then Micah tries to finish Utami off with the Mijinoku driver. However, Utami, are, uh, uh, yeah, Utami slips out, and it's this crazy release German suplex. Just basically picks up uh, Micah. You know, she gets her hips low, pops up, and then just throws Utami almost into, like, the second row. I mean, Utami landing right on her neck. Very all-Japan style in the 90s. Utami tries for – she tries to go for – this was a great finish. So she hits this crazy release German suplex. And she realized there's separation there. So if you're Tommy, you got to do what you do best. And that's throw running lariat. So she goes for the running lariat. But when she does, she runs into the 360 lariat from Micah. Two Mijinoku drivers later, we have our finish at just a shade under 14 minutes. This is my favorite match of the show. And maybe my favorite five-star match between the two of them. I had this at four and a half stars. Uh, I had it at four and a quarter, completely agree. Over the three nights, I think this is probably my favourite match. Um, uh, Closely followed by Suri and uh, Mirai just destroying each other. But again, we talk about vicious lariats. This had everything you could possibly want. You mean Julia Julia Mirai? What did I say? You said Shuri. I did, yeah. It's because I'm looking at the five-star results and uh, Suri is on there. Um, So, Matt, you're absolutely spot on. These pair have been in the five-star together four years in a row, and Micah has won all four. Now, this was also the only defeat that Utami had in her ta- in her five-star winning year. She drew with Shiori, she drew with Momo Watanabe, but Mike was the only one to get the outright pinfall over her. So uh, that is a very, very interesting uh, 
Very interesting stat there. 4-0 against Utami. There's not many wrestlers that can boast that sort of record. So here's my uh, here's my prediction, sir. So eventually, by the end of this year, beginning of next year, Utami will be the World of Stardom champion. And then Micah will win next year's Cinderella tournament. And her wish will be to challenge Utami for the World of Stardom champion. But it has to be an official five-star match because that's the only way <laughs> that Micah can beat Utami. It's like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm putting all the chips where they may. I can never win that red belt. However, I never lose to uh, the Red Queen, one of the pillars of this company, in a five-star match. So if I can, if I have my wish for winning the Cinderella tournament, <laughs> it's to challenge Utami, but not at a five-star show in the actual five-star. So it's a double-meaning match. It means whoever wins gets the two points and is the champion. So there you go, my friend. <laughs> I think that is a very niche prediction. <laughs> However, I've got every faith that that is going to happen. I, to be honest, <laughs> I would be. I'd be amazed if we don't get Utami is holding the second, having a second reign with this red belt. And I'd be even more amazed if it's not Micah that takes it off. Um, if it's not Micah that wins the five star, um, I think that's certainly the story that they're building. Um, obviously, I know that once it comes to the big one, obviously, Micah's had two bites at Utami's red belt and has failed both times. So is it time for Micah to make that step up? She's proved that she can beat her in the five star. We've seen this multiple times. Can she win on the biggest stage? And that's potentially the next step in their story, um, which, you know, great eye, man, because I hadn't picked that up. I knew she'd beaten her at the last three. I'd completely blanked on 2020 because I didn't even realize they were in the same block. So uh, there you are. We move on then to our final match or our final show, sorry, that we are going to be reviewing. And that's from the 27th of August from the Kirameki Minato Hall, Suruga Fukui, Japan. Nailed it. Um, we are going to give you your results as per usual, and then we'll talk a little bit about them. Uh, so in a three-way match, Wakasuki Yama defeated Hanako and Miyu Amasaki in five minutes and 26 seconds with her suplex hold. Um, we then had a tag team match, the fantastic team of Megan Bain and Maysera defeating the Queen's Quest team of Lady C and Utami with Megan Bain getting the pinfall over Lady C with the F. Five in seven minutes and 39 seconds. The God's Eye team of Mirai and Suri defeated the Cosmic Angels team of Tam Nakano and Yuna Mizumori in 10 minutes and 15 seconds with Suri submitting Yuna Mizumori with the Suzaku. We then had the team, the Donna Del Mondo team of Tekla, Micah, and Julia defeating the Stars team of Maiwe Watani, Saya Idi, and Momo Kogo with Micah getting the pinfall with the Micah drop. I can't remember what the actual name of it is. I meant to write it down, but it translates as Flame Cannon, which sounds so much cooler um, in 9 minutes and 28 seconds. We then move to our five-star matches, four of them on this show. Um, in blue block, Sayori Anu moves to Sayori Anno. I will get this right. Um, moves to six points, defeating Hannon, who stays on two, uh, with the Tets Tondra in seven minutes and nine seconds. Mariah May 
defeats Momo Watanabe, moving to six points and leaving Momo on six points uh, by rolling her up with something that she's calling the Once Upon a Time hold, which is uh, quite a cool name, keeping in keeping with that fairy tale thing. That happening in 11 minutes and 53 seconds. Amisori then defeated Starlight Kid, moving to six points. I believe now. No, four points, I apologise. And defeating Starlight Kid, who remains on four points with the like of Thunderbolt in 11 minutes and 56 seconds. And Natsu Katora then completes a clean sweep on this podcast, moving to 12 points, defeating the only other unbeaten person in the block, Natsupoi, who stays on nine points in 12 minutes and 24 seconds with a swan ton bomb. Uh, Matt, what about this undercard? What should people be checking out on this undercard? This was the best undercard of, of the five-star. Uh, the, the, every one of these matches, the first match, it only got five minutes, but still it was really great seeing me, you, and Waka uh, really work, you know, not together, but against each other. I just want to just really quick go to the main event, or not the main event, but the last match before the um, the five-star matches with the uh, DDM team versus uh, Stars. So you, you mentioned you couldn't do the name of Micah's move. When she hit it for the fall, I just wrote Micah Buster. Because I remember, I was like, I remember it looked like a package pile driver and do like a slam. And I was like, oh, I can actually mention that, that because I know how to say Micah Buster. It's not some sort of name that I'll have to kind of figure out or say a thousand times out loud before I get it. But then they changed, it, the graphic came up and they changed the name. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They also did that. Did you notice too, Rob, that the uh, Mariah May winning with the Happily Ever After Tombstone, the graphic just says Tombstone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're getting away from that or whatnot. But uh, regardless, uh, the uh, and I mentioned it the, uh, about an hour or so ago, May Sarah and Megan Bain against Utami, Utami and Lady C. Again, the chemistry with Megan Bain and May Sarah is, uh, is fantastic. And uh, Megan Bain, we've seen these multi-person matches kind of runs through everybody. She had a really good segment with Utami where they're kind of just firing back and forth. But that's a singles match that I'd like to see somewhere down the line. Um, but definitely, if you have time, watch the third match on this show. Tam and Yuna versus Mariah and Sherry. Boy, howdy, this was great. I mean, all, all four of these ladies worked so well together. Uh, Mariah and Tam stuff was really, really good. Obviously, they had that uh, Wonder of Stardom championship match a few months ago. They kind of pick up where they left off here. Unimizamori holds nothing back. I mean, if you take a look at everybody in this match, you have you know the current world of stardom champion, the current wonder of stardom champion. You had the former world of stardom champion and the 2021 winner of the five-star Grand Prix and a great wrestler in Unimizamori. And I think Yuna really understood her role in this match was every second I get in the ring, I'm not going to waste. I mean, she throws some bomb lariats with Mariah and Shuri, who are obviously two notable of the two of the hardest hitters, not only in stardom, but all, all of wrestling. Uh, there was this really, really cool spot where Tam hits a violent shooting the same time Yuna hits a grounded lariat. Uh, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and the psychology was great that anytime Sherry was able to get an opening on Yuna, who in my opinion was the MVP of this match, would target Yuna's arm. And ultimately, that was the downfall to Yuna in this match. Um, but yeah, definitely. If you have time, partner, it only runs a little under, a little over ten minutes. Definitely check out that that third match. And again, off in again, uh, Michael Julian Tekler versus Mayu Saida and Momo Kogo was great. Momo Kogo really showed out in this match. And also, if you like Saida violence, which I know you do, partner, 
there's really great segments of Saeeda and uh, Micah just beating the crap out of each other. But uh, again, Momo Kogo did a great job really showing out in this match and really building her up and really building the heat up with her and Julia. Uh, eventually, I think that's going to go into a New Japan Strong Championship match because if you did see the Julia four-way match from the ECW arena after Julia won with the Northern Lights bomb on Giselle Shaw, Momo Kogo got right in her face and the two of them had a little bit of a pull-apart brawl. That's kind of what happens here. That's what kind of happens here. And uh, Saeeda does a great job standing up for Momo Kogo a- as well. But uh, a lot of stuff gets built up in that final match before we get in the five stars. But, yeah, all four of those matches were great. But definitely uh, check out uh, Tam and Yuna versus Mariah and Sherry, as well as the six-person tag match uh, with Stars versus Donald Del Mundo. But uh, let's talk about these five-star matches, good sir. Absolutely. We kick straight off into Sayoriano defeating Hannon. And I think it's fair to say, aside from the Hannon and Azumi match, which was fantastic, this might be Hannon's best outing of the tournament. I agree. I mean, not only is her offense coming across as so much smoother, but also she's so much better better in defense as well and when you've got someone who is as flexible as Seori Anu and is able to manipulate you into such ridiculous places you know you've got to be good at selling that visceral pain and I feel like Hannon is doing that superbly and um, I, I do feel like in many many ways she's the next big baby face in stardom um, you know she's 18 or is she not she's 19 now I believe She's 19 years old, and already you can see the star power in her. And she lost this match. <laughs> she lost this match. I mean, Sayoriano, you know, having a great tournament. But for me, it's all about Hannah and Matt. Yeah, and the fact that she's added some more submissions into her game. Obviously, you know, she has the judo throw and that knee bar rolling uh, submission and the knee bar rolling into the pin which I like how she uses those two, you know, the knee bar into the pin and the judo throw as almost like a defensive maneuver. Like when someone's getting an advantage and a running advantage, she uses the judo throw to maybe work towards the arm. And she's been adding some new arm bar submissions. And what a better place to uh, display it is in matches that you're going to get the most eyes on you, especially against, you know, an Azumi, a Mirai, a Julia, or sorry, uh, I know. Um, but yeah, this is really good. And then uh, Sayori is really building up her offense and she's really starting to use I mean, She almost kind of worked like a very explosive, like high-speed style offense, very similar to like a Sayaka Matani. Um, and I, that's what I've noticed over the handful of months with uh, Sayori sorry, Anu in stardom. And then, you know, she's building, building, building. And then Han on nowhere catches her with that knee bar rolling cradle for a close two count and the 17 roll up. But uh, yeah, ultimately though, and then, uh, you know, it just takes... Uh, so are we just a, a split second to you know kind of get a uh, wrist advantage that gets into the you know the, the reverse waist lock that just basically send, sends Han and uh, onto her head with the German suplex that ultimately uh, finishes uh, Han and off with the temp. How, how do you pronounce that finish, Rob? The Temps Tondra, I think. Temps Tondra. All right, and if we have it wrong, folks, you know how to get a hold of us. We're all about proving. But yeah, it's basically a, a flipping neckbreaker that basically does Hana in at about the twelve minute mark. And I like that these matches are getting time. But yeah, this was excellent. I actually had it at three and three fourth stars. Really enjoyed it. Completely agree. Completely agree. Not to detract at all from Anno's um, performance in this, 
Hannon for me has been again very similar to what I said about Amisori earlier on. She's progressing so well in this tournament, and we we said it so much in the lead up to the tournament that having these high caliber singles matches, you know, over a, a short space of time, is only going to lead you to improve in ring. It's happening for Hannon. It's happening. Who you know? It's happening for Hannon again after it happened for Hannon last year. You know, we've then got it happening for Amisori in this tournament. We've got it happening for Mariah May as well, who, off the back of having the match of her career against Julia, then comes out and has a really, really good match against Momo Watanabe. So it's happening more and more. And this is where I think it helps that Stardom have cut down the field again um, to, you know, 10 people per block. Because as we've all, as we mentioned many, many times, it feels like an elite tournament. You know, Hannon has got no days off in that blue block, and it is really, really helping her out. Same with Mariah May. Um, speaking of Mariah May, defeating great, Ma- great segue, brother. Great job. Honestly, man, I learned from the best. Uh, <laughs> Mariah May has now beaten Julia and Momo Watanabe and Mina Shirakawa. Like, they are three big, big victories for the foreign ace. And uh, honestly, I don't think anyone can say that she does not belong in this field because she has showcased, again, similar to Hannon, she has showcased how good she is on defense, how she is able to adapt her game depending on who she's fighting. She's able to incorporate moments of passion, moments of emotion. She's able to deliver that roller coaster of emotions that you're supposed to have during a wrestling match. And more more than all of that, she has proved that she can hang with the best that Stardom have to offer, hopefully silencing any remaining doubters as to whether Mariah May deserved a place in this tournament. Because for me, she's proved again here that she does. Because not only did she absorb some absolutely brutal kicks that we now come to expect from Momo Watanabe, but she's constantly adapting, as proved by the um, Once Upon a Time move that she broke out to get the pinfall. And she did it really, really quite seamlessly as well. I will say this about Mariah May before I get into this match, partner. I've had at least a dozen of my uh, friends that I know in the wrestling business that would be scrolling through social media and they would see pictures of the Mariah May and they're like, what is, who is this? They would click on her bio and they see the word stardom and I would immediately get a, a tweet, a DM, or if they had my number, a phone call or a text because I may know, I know a thing or two about stardom because I do a stardom podcast with the author of Living the Dream, <laughs> Stardom's 10th anniversary and review, handsome, Big Daddy cool himself, Rob Goodwin Diesel. Um, Rob, 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 yes, there it is. So, and I basically just point, I'm like, hey guys, you know, there's stuff that's on YouTube that is, you know, on the We Are Stardom that you can watch. And I've had a, a handful of uh, my friends subscribe to the to Stardom World and where it's literally putting down a rabbit hole, literally to the point where they watch Mariah May versus Julia. They've heard who Julia is and they've gone down a rabbit hole. So because of Mariah May, some of my uh, you know friends in the wrestling business are now watching Stardom, and I'm getting busier than ever answering questions, which I which I absolutely love. So thank you, Mariah May. I greatly appreciate it. And again, again, it's that, that that's our main mission for this podcast is get as many people to watch Stardom as possible. And and, and this is obviously you know people 
seeing Mariah May, starting watching her matches and seeing her in the ring with a Momo, a Mina, tagging with the Mina. I had a lot of people that loved the tag match with uh, Rose Gold versus uh, Natsupoy and uh, Soria New. And then a lot of people are now, what's this Bipoy thing? I'll be here till tomorrow putting over Bipoy. Regardless, <laughs> this match, Rob. Uh, so Mariah May does the reversal. She does the Uedo tie to Uedo tie. She jumps Momo Watanabe with a dropkick, sending her to the floor, hits a dive, and then she goes to grab Momo's bat. And then she gives the bat to Waka, saying, no, I'm not going to cheat. And that gives Momo the advantage to hit a blistering kick, and Uedo tie has got a Uedo tie. Sending poor Mariah May, who's trying to play by the rules here, right through some chairs. And then eventually, like, the match gets going. It's a great match. The ref gets blinded, and then poor Waka's got this bat. Momo just takes the bat away from her, starts beating up poor Waka. Like, Waka <laughs> had nothing to do with it. Like, and what a heel thing to do. Everybody loves Waka. She's guarding this bat, not to give to Mariah May, but to make sure there's no cheating. And then Momo's like, where's my bat? And like, oh, that that jerk uh, Waka has it. Like, no, not because she's trying to use it, because she's trying to protect the match from being clean. What a heel thing to do. Momo Watanabe's the best. I love the spot where they're fighting on the apron. And Momo goes for the... Uh, goes for the bee driver on the apron. And it makes perfect sense because we've seen Momo do this since pretty much 2018. Kind of her thing to do. But Mariah May flips out, and that's how they do the, uh, she does the power bomb off the, uh, basically off the apron onto the floor. I absolutely love that. I love Momo escaping the uh, happily ever after tombstone. And Mariah May turns around. She turns around for a brief second, and the next thing you know, her lights are out because Momo hits that brutal Mirko Crow Cop style head kick. Uh, they do a great uh, ref line spot that, the event, uh, like I said, leads to the bat shot. Again, if you're going to cheat, please don't do it in front of the referee. Momo eventually hits the B driver for a two count, hits another huge head kick. Locks in the crossface chicken wing, gets the tequila sunrise, and then goes for the uh, the peach sunrise combination. I love it how she does it. Again, it's a combination we've seen Momo do really since 2018. Really the combination that really led her to such a great run with that wonder of stardom championship. But Mariah May must have been, she must be a subscriber to stardom, stardom World, or she listened to this podcast. Maybe both, because she knew it was time to counter. She reverses the uh, peach sunrise into the roll-up, and I was like, oh, that was a really cool roll-up. I wonder what she calls that. Once upon a time, absolutely brilliant. Great match. Love the psychology. Love, again, if you're going to cheat, please don't do it in front of the ref. The uh, strikes from Mariah May. You know, if you're wrestling Momo Watanabe, you got to bring it. So Mariah May, Mariah May, excuse me, really brought it with her strikes here. Was really able to go almost like toe-for-toe, strike-for-strike with Momo Watanabe. And obviously Momo brings it all the time because she's Momo. Even though in a losing effort, Momo Watanabe is like one of the MVPs of this tournament. I absolutely love seeing it. All in all, another great showing for Mariah May, defeating the former wonder of stardom champion, the former leader of Queen's Quest. I this one at four and a quarter stars, sir. I had it three and three quarters. Another great installment for Mariah May in this tournament. Speaking of which, I know that you had a little bit of an issue in the next match, Matt. Amisori and Starlight Kid. Yeah, and my issue wasn't with the match because I absolutely love this match. So it gets to the point where uh, Amisori, Momo, or not Momo, um, Starlight Kid goes for the Momo latch. And this is a great spot. Goes for the Momo latch on the way down from the Momo latch. Ami catches her and the Boston Crab. And all of a sudden, the video freezes, but I can hear the volume. So I'm like, that's really weird. And I let it go, let it go. And eventually you hear the bumps, the oohs and ahs, the one, two, three. Amisori gets announced as the winner. I said, that's weird. So I rewound it. Same thing, same spot. I clicked off Stardom World, clicked back on. 
same thing. I went and watched the next match, which we'll talk about, went back, same thing. So like four or five times, I couldn't see the finish. So I thought maybe it was something, you know, something with the camera, the editing. And I text you and I messaged you. I said, hey, when you get to this match, let me know. And uh, as of this morning, you said, no, I had no problem with it. And a few other people I talked to, they didn't have any problem with it. So I don't know what it was. It was just really, really weird. Maybe I'll try because I did it on the iPad. You said you listen, you watched it on the iPad and had no problems with it. Maybe I'll, I'll rewatch it again. From what I saw, I'm not going to rate this match because I didn't see the finish. I know how Ami Sori builds up her finish, Starlight Kid as well. So uh, just it, I'll try to go back and watch it again and give it a quick review next week or just put it up on social media. So out of the sake of uh, just you know being respectful to Ami Sori and Starlight Kid, it was gaining, in my opinion, to a four-star match, but I can't give it an actual rating without seeing the final two and a half, three minutes. What I saw, I absolutely loved it. Um, but uh, again, I can't give a review for a match I didn't completely see. Again, maybe it was on my end, but I will definitely try to go back and watch it and give a better review. The finish is really, really good. There is there's a moment when the camera work. So Ami Sori gets thrown into the corner, and because of where the camera is, you only see Ami Sori's feet, and you see Starlight Kid charge at her. And she explodes out of the corner and beheads Starlight Kid with this lariat. It is so stiff. And Starlight Kid sells it like she has been hit by a boat. It's great. Um, and then there's some toing and froing with the uh, with the like a thunderbolt. Um so um Amisori hits the blue thunderbomb, and then we get this moment where Amisori gets Starlight Kid into position for like a thunderbolt. Starlight Kid then reverses that into the Momo latch or an attempted Momo latch. Amisori catches her, deadlifts her back into position for the Like a Thunderbolt and hits it. And it's so beautifully smooth. And this is what I mean about Amisori's improvement. Like that sort of thing, I'm not sure would have come off, you know, last year. But here, she does it so well and so confidently. And whether that is a strength thing, whether that is an experience thing, it is brilliant. Fantastic, fantastic finish to the match. If you don't see anything from this show, watch that lariat and that transition from the Momo latch into the Like a Thunderbolt because both are beautiful. Um, We move on then to the main event. The third straight victory for Natsu Katora, moving her to 12 points. Matt, is the Poi revolution over? Never, Rob <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? I'll tell you what, buddy. I don't know which match I like better from these shows that we're reviewing. This one or uh, Micah versus Utami, which goes once again goes to show how great the tournament it is. Uh, you know, everybody has different matches, and I'm sure everybody's top fives are, fives are different. But I thought this was probably Tora's best match of the tournament. And we've been ranting and raving. This is becoming the Tora Edish, or the Natsuko Tora show. Um, this is my favorite match he's had of this tournament. Again, great matches with Tam, Shuri, uh, Ta- uh, Mayu as well. But this one for me is my clear favorite. I thought this was great. And I liked it how Natsuko brought back the Whiskey Fairy to combat uh, Tora. So you like so she tries for it early on. It doesn't happen. They thought ah that'd just be the only one spot for it. Then they uh, they have there's a really cool spot where uh, Poi gets out of the DVD and then it goes to Tora's arm. And I'm like ah what's she going for here? Like and it's not like Natsu Poi's a shooter. She's not Shuri. You know what I mean? She's not Shibata. But she turns the arm bar into a really good triangle choke. 
And Tor does a, they do a great job milking it. Tor does a great job selling it. Now some boy's got like she takes the slack out of the submission. There's no holes. So it's like you can believe it. It's believable. It's finished. And then Tor does the rampage Jackson bomb to escape. I thought that was really cool. At that point, we have our double down because Tor is selling the triangle choke and the arm, and Natsupoi is selling the, uh, the uh, everything from the Rampage Bomb. And the camera work is perfect because they go to Natsupoi, get a little sip of the whiskey, and you can see that Tora has something as well. The ref gets blind. And I like this a really cool spot because at this point, again, Tora takes the ref, pulls the ref down, so blinds the ref. She goes for the Tora goes for the mist. However, Natsupoi ducks the miss, which we haven't really seen much in this tournament. And then Natsupoi hits the what I'm calling the whiskey mist. So she hits the whiskey whiskey mist into the super kick, German suplex, and then she goes to the top and hits the ferial gift. And I thought that was the finish. Oh my god, what a great finish! However, Natsupoi is able, Artor uh, is able to uh, to to uh, to kick out. She comes back, hits a lariat DVD for two, and then follows up with the Swanton Bond. I thought this entire match was great, but that finishing sequence was just absolutely perfect because you didn't know which way it was going to go. You didn't like, what's what's Natsupoi doing with the Whiskey Mist? Tori's got the Mist. Tori, again, blinds the ref, but it goes against her because she's the one that takes the, takes the Mist. Um, and then it's just Natsupoi dropping bombs, and I thought that would be the finish. However, it wasn't. Tori able to withstand everything that the uh that the bipoy revolution did to torah <laughs> in order for torah to come back and throw bombs so not only have we seen this violent side of torah and a kind of cheating side of torah again not doing in front of the referee she's a heel uh you know i'm a heel as jim Cornette would say um but now we see that the fact that she can take this punishment and then bring it back again a complete other side to torah she's beaten mayu she's beaten tam she's beaten natsupoy she can lay claim to an iwgp title shot tag team title shot and a world of stardom tag team title shot if she does not win this tournament and again not only did she defeat tam and i i failed to mention this in my review for the tam match that we just did a little bit ago she beats tam in this tournament she also eliminated tam from the cinderella tournament earlier this year as well so does she have tam tam's number mr goodwin that's the question i mean she's she's got a lot of victories a lot of singles victories over tam so maybe, I mean, this again could be a story that they tell, you know, whenever they do face off. And I do feel like Tora is hugely overdue a red belt match. Um, and I don't know whether it's just because I'm sort of embroiled in the middle of this tournament and I'm loving what Tora is doing in this tournament. But I would love to see Tora dethrone Tam. You know, not instantly. You know, give Tam a couple more months. Give Tam that that victory over Mayu. I think that's important that that happens. But I would love to see Tora be the one to dethrone Tam. Um, you know, really, really tie that rocket to Tora. I mean, Stardom have proved that they're not scared of doing that. Obviously, you know, B Priestley is the one that springs to mind. Uh, Tam defeating Julia in the first place springs to mind as well. Utami dethroning Mayu. Um, they've proved that they're not scared of attaching their top prize to someone that we might not expect. So why not Tora? Why not Tora? Proper legitimize her as the company's top heel, especially on the back of the good work that she's been doing in this five-star but that does leave us with the block standing. So um, uh, this is how we are. 12 nights into the tournament. We're about a month away now from the final. 
Um, and as I mentioned at the start of this, we've got a lot of women who are nearing the end of their tournament matches. Nine matches per woman, don't forget. So we have got Tora, who is currently 6-2, and two, on 12 points at the top of Red Star's block. Natsupoy, who is 4-1-1, one, one, with nine points in second place. We've then got three people tied on five points. Suri and Tam, who are both 2 1 and 1, and Mayu, who's 2 2 and 1. We've then got three people tied on four points Amisori, two wins, two losses. Suzu Suzuki and Starlight Kid, both with two losses, uh, sorry, two wins and three losses. We've then got Hazuki on 1 and 3, on two points, and then, of course, unfortunately, Saya Kamatani as well. Now, it's worth noting. That, that final night and Tora's last remaining block match is against Hazuki. Hazuki cannot lose or tie a match and still get through. I fully, fully anticipate Hazuki winning every match and defeating Tora on the final night, which will give her a record of 6-3. and three. It'll give Tora a record of 6-3, and three, both on 12 points, but Hazuki will go through on the tie break with Tora. It, w- it would not surprise me if Hazuki versus Tora is the block final for Red Block. Very interesting, sir. We shall see again. Yeah, we have, um, I believe the final is on the 30th. So, uh, yeah, literally a month away. A month away. So, a lot can happen. Obviously, we have uh, some fully, fully loaded matches this weekend. But, yeah, it's really just anybody's guess. But the way that Tor has just been absolutely built up in this tournament and the fact that she has those wins that we just talked about, I just don't see her really making the final because at the, you've already established that you have these wins. You've already established her that way. However, they can go all in with her, pun somewhat intended, uh, <laughs> on the all in. But uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting to see. But again, kudos to Stardom on absolutely brilliant booking on taking somebody uh, like Tor and, and just making her, her a legit badass main eventer. We move on then to Blue Block, where it really is everyone's game you've got five people at the top of the block all tied on six points momo watanabe three and one mariah may mina and marai all on three and two and then sioriano who is two three and two so that's five people all tied tied at the top of the block with six points you've then got micah who is two one and one on five points julia who is two two and one on five points Utami, who is two and two on four points, Azumi two and three on four points, and Hanan, who is one and five um, uh, on two points. I I think realistically Hanan isn't making the final. I don't think anyone really had Hanan making the final anyway. But at the moment, I would argue she is the only one who is definitely out of the tournament of either block. Um, you know, I. I I don't think that's out of. I don't think that's uh, that's wrong, Matt. No, no, you're absolutely right, my friend. You're absolutely right. I would be surprised if Hazuki, not Hazuki, what am I on about? I would be surprised if Utami on that final night. I know that Julia and Utami are are well down the block 
standings at the moment. But I would be very, very surprised if Julia and Utami isn't the block final for the Blue Stars. Amazed, in yeah. fact. Yeah, that's the money match. So, you know, realistically, that would give us Hazuki versus Utami in the final, which, oh my God, take my money. Just take it. Just take it. I've got my wallet. Just take my cards. I'd They're more than do it happen. anyway. They're doing it anyway, buddy. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, right. Let's go on to preview these two cards from this weekend then. So uh, um, real quick, real quick, Mr. Goon, I know we're running uh, fast on time here. I would like to do the Io Shirai watch really, really quick before we get into the main event. That's okay with you, sir. Of course. Please feel free. So what we were doing, if you are new to this podcast, again, welcome. Io Shirai, obviously one of the uh, three daughters of stardom. We're going to start doing what Io Shirai, the current WWE Women's Champion, has done this week in wrestling. So she wrestled Zelina Vega for her V1, her first title defense of the WWE Women's Championship match, our championship. There was a promo backstage with all all three members of Damage Control, Io, Bailey, and Dakota Kai. I forget the uh, ring announcer's name that was doing the announcement, uh, that was doing the interview. She was very short, and Bailey said, what are you? Are, are you the newest recruit for the LWO? Because they only hire short people. Which then Io kind of rolled her eyes, because Io is not Andre the Giant, or this is a stardom podcast. She's not as tall as one lady. See, uh, the match was really good, really good chain wrestling to start uh Start the match. Selena Vega got the early advantage. We got some damage control interference. They built the match around Selena Vega's code red, which I believe is her finisher. She hits this for her comeback. She hits this really beautiful meteor, very much, very, and you know, obviously Io, who has taken several meteors and or Samatos from one Momo Watanabe. So you know, Io knows how to take it. Um, so she takes this beautiful meteor from Zelina Vega. Zelina eventually hits the code red, which again they built the match to. Sends Io to the outside. Zelina gets distracted by the other members of I was going to say a wet tie of uh, Damage Control. I guess their version of a wet tie. Io uh, uh, eventually throws Zelina into the step. She pitches Zelina back in the ring and hits the pitcher perfect moonsault in a little over six minutes. Great match. Wish it got more time. I had it at three and a half stars. And uh, that is the EO Shirai watch, Mr. Rob Goodwin, for the week. I feel like we need a jingle to introduce <laughs> the EO Shirai watch. I feel like we need it. Um, Let's do it. Oh. Just say bipoy. We'll just do a jingle bipoy. <laughs> <laughs> if there are any budding musicians out there that want to do as a jingle for the EO Shirai watch, uh, please get in touch. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about the show on the second, which isn't the pay-per-view. It's night 13 of the five-star Grand Prix. The one from the brilliantly named Hiroshima Prefectural Fukuyama Industrial Exchange Center, Big Rose. Um, we've talked a little bit about the five-star matches. The undercard is as follows. Um, Hanako versus Starlight Kid versus Tekla versus Meisera. We've then got a six-woman tag match. Um, uh, Megan Bade, Suzu Suzuki, and Micah versus Hazuki. Koguma and Momokogo. You've then got a tag team match with uh, Tam Nakano and Yuna Mizumori taking on Miyu Amasaki and Lady C. Um, we've then got an all-God's-Eye affair in what is a white belt prelude match. You've got Suri and Konami taking on Mirai and Saki Kashima. And then we've got those five-star matchups. Utami versus Mariah May. Mina Shirakawa versus Azumi. Uh, Julia versus Momo Watanabe and Mayu Iwatani versus Amisuri. Now, I 
I'm anticipating Utami beating Mariah May. You know, for the reasons that we discussed, I do think that it'll be Utami and Julia at the top of Blue Block come the final night. Therefore, I also expect Julia to come out on top against Momo Watanabe. Mina Shirakawa will probably get the victory over Azumi, sort of rectifying the uh, momentum she lost losing to Mariah May at Korokan. And then Mayu Utani versus Amisori. I do anticipate that Mayu will probably get the victory over Ami. Though, to be fair, I did think that Starlight Kid was going to get the victory over Ami. So anything is possible. Matt, do we differ on any of those? No, I kind of agree with you. So that means, folks, put your money on Mariah May, yep. Ami Sori, Momo Watanabe, and Azumi. The only one I'm kind of, again, I, we could go 0 for 4 here, just because that's, the, you know, that's, uh, just, that's just how it works. Absolutely. The only one I'm not sure on, I'm agreeing with you, but not wholeheartedly as the other three, is Azumi and Mina Shirakawa, which is the genius one of this tournament. And two, the way Azumi wrestles against these main event wrestlers. We've seen her that Azumi Sushi has beaten the main eventers in this tournament before. Very much like Utami, very much like uh, Sherry. You know, Sherry's fell to it a few times in this tournament. So it can very well spell Mina's demise. But all four of these matches all look great. And may I do say, I'm looking at this show undercard-wise, the uh, that six-person tag match with, uh, you know, Team Megan Bain versus the Stars team. The fact that we're going to get Hazuki violence on all three of those ladies, meaning Megan Bain, Micah, and Suzu Suzuki. Oh boy, I'm excited for that. Absolutely. Any three of those women women against Hazuki, very, very exciting. And let's not forget, we have got that prelude tag to the Y-Bell match, Mirai versus Konami. Very excited to see that. Also, it'll be the first time Saki Kashima has faced Suri since joining god's eye so that is going to be very very entertaining as well very very much worth checking out however the main event of the weekend is the pay-per-view the five star special in hiroshima from the hiroshima sun plaza i don't think you can buy the pay-per-view as of this time of recording which is wednesday but i think it usually goes up on either thursday or friday morning so go and check out we are stardom they tend to put it up I'm sure Sonny will put it up on uh, the We Are Stardom pay-per-view, cha- uh, pay-per-view channel, Twitter page. Um, we have got, in terms of this pay-per-view, we have got the five-star matches, Utami versus Momo Watanabe, which in itself is going to be a fantastic match. Tam Nakano versus Starlight Kid. I am putting no money whatsoever, but I do think that Starlight Kid could get a victory there. Now she needs it. She needs it. Yeah, she needs it. Otherwise, I think she might be eliminated if she doesn't win. I think if she ties or loses, I think she's out. So yes, yeah, she will be out because Tora can only lose three matches. So basically, Suzu Suzuki can only afford one more loss. Starlight Kid can only afford one more loss. Hazuki can only afford one more loss. So yeah, I fully, fully believe that Starlight Kid defeats Tam also sets up another red belt challenge for Tam. We've seen a lot of teasing of that um, throughout the last couple of months, really. Um, so I can see that happening. And then we've got Mayu Iwatani versus Suri, which we've seen Mayu Iwatani versus Suri before. We know what is going to happen. That one's a little bit tougher to predict, as I don't think anyone really sees Mayu or Suri making the final. Whoever wins that, it's going to be a fantastic match. Um, but I can't really pick a winner there. Would it surprise you, Matt, if that goes to a time limit draw? 
No, that one's going to go to a time limit draw. That's what my my official pick on that one is is time limit draw. And uh, yeah, you look at uh, Utami, Utami and Momo. They've yet to have a singles match since Momo defected to a widow tie out on like two and a half years ago. So uh, yeah, that's interesting for a lot of reasons. Jesus, is that how long ago it was? No, a year and yeah, a half, yet- eighteen months. Yeah. Oh, what did I say? Two and a half? Yeah. Oh my God, you're making me feel old then, Matt. Oh God, don't do that. I don't need any help. Um, We then move on to the four title matches on this card. We start with a high-speed title match. Saki Kashima against Momo Kogo. Saki Kashima, at the time of recording, is on 95 days with the title, which means that she will be approaching 100 days. I think it'll be 98 by the time the pay-per-view is coming up. And of course, this will be V3 if she is successful. Matt, I think we both agree that uh, as good as Momo Kogo is getting, as much as she's improving, there is not a cat in hell's chance that Saki is dropping it to Momo. I wouldn't say that. Not a cat in hell's chance, my friend. But it's pretty, pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, I think we all see where this is going. That's eventually going to be. They're giving, they're giving Saki her run, and rightfully so. But eventually, it's going to wind up in uh, with May Sarah. You know, finally getting that win because they've been teasing that up. This would be a really, really good match. Momo Kogo is fantastic. Very underrated. Very well improving. I mentioned on the show last week. Very much well loved in the world famous ECW arena. Yes, Saki Kashima will get the win here. Um, we then have the New Japan Strong Women's Championship with Risa Sarah coming and making her challenge after uh, Julie defended successfully at Multiverse United 2 against Diana Perazzo, Giselle Shore and Momo Kogo um, that Matt was indeed in the presence of. Um, uh, Matt, do we see Julia defeating Risa Sarah here for V3? I I can't see Risa Sarah winning here especially when a you look at how over julia was in philadelphia that reaction that she got and when there's so much left on the table especially if both of us think that there is a Kyrie match imminent i'd be amazed if risa zera gets the victory nevertheless it's going to be a fantastic match yeah i hope they kind of let this one go a little bit maybe a little more relaxed rules because you know these two are going to be throwing bombs all over the entire building i would not be I would not be surprised as loaded as this card is. I would not be surprised that when we're talking about next week, this is one of, if not of our favorite matches of the show. I really can be like five or six of them to be honest with you. But yeah, I think it's to be Julia with the Northern Lights bomb putting away Risa Sarah. Yeah. Um uh, obviously there's um there's a connection there. There's a nice ribbon connection there, which will be fun. Um it'll be brutal, of course it will, because Risa Sarah only knows brutality, and I'm all for that. Um, and I'm sure Julia will be as well. Um, in what at the moment is billed as the semi-main, but I don't think it will be. I'll be surprised if the New Japan Strong Women's title isn't the semi-main. We've got the Goddess of Stardom Championships match with the champions Sayori Poi, um, Sayori Ano and Natsupoi taking on the challenger team of Suzu Suzuki and May Seira. Now, Matt, if Sayori Poi had not only just won the belts... I would love to see Suzu Suzuki and Maysera take the belts here. However, I can't see the titles changing hands here. If there's one title that's going to change on this show, it's this one. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. 
I think maybe eventually down the road I can see uh, Sierra Sierra Suzuki. That sounds like a, uh, a an adult beverage. Uh, I can see them maybe somewhere down the line, maybe uh, early next year, winning the Goddess Belts. This is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to this entire card, especially this one. But no, I see this one being an absolute four and a half star or even higher banger of a match. But yeah, I see uh, Sorry Poi. Uh, also known as Bipoy, uh, winning <laughs> this match and what could be the absolute show stealer. Yeah, I do anticipate, completely agree with you. If there is going to be one title change on this show, I do think it's more likely to be the Goddess of Stardom Championships. Um, either way, it'll be a great match. Natsupoy is used to being kicked around like a football, so having her versus Suzu Suzuki is going to be tremendous and something I'm very excited about seeing again. Sayori Anu versus the speed of Maysera. Sayori Anu. I'm going to get it. I'm going to keep saying it until I get it right. Um, we'll do it together. We'll practice together, buddy. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, that, that little uh, little high-speed clash is going to be fun as well. And then in our main event, we've got Mirai defending the wonder of stardom championship in what will be her first title defense against uh god's eye member konami and this is where i think we'll probably get a starlight kid challenge at some point simply because she made a very she made she had an interview where she made a point of talking about how these part-timers are being parachuted in to have title shots she name dropped megan bain she also name dropped konami who don't wrestle full-time yet are getting title shots. So that's another reason I do think Tam is going to lose to Starlight Kid so that Starlight Kid can get that title shot. This Mirai versus Konami, it's going to be great. Mirai uses her arm for lariats, the Miramare shock, and the Miramare. Konami, her primary offense, is targeting the arm. It's going to be very, very much a case of can Mirai withstand all of the submission moves of Konami. It's going to be a fantastic match. Unfortunately, I think Konami is going to come up short against Mirai, whether it's having the Triangle Lancer locked in or the Armbar locked in and Mirai just managing to stack her up or something like that. Um, it's going to be a great match. I'm very much looking forward to it, Matt. Yeah, it's going to be a banger of a main event. I believe this is Konami's first singles match since Julia Dream Kingdom uh, back in 2021. I believe so. I think she's just done multi-person matches. I, I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean, this match, the psychology, the styles make fights. It's all right there. This is going to be a banger. This is going to be fantastic. This entire card is going to be great, but you know, real quick, Rob, you know what match was supposed to be on this loaded card? Go on. Zuki and Sayakamitani. Wow. So you take this card, take a look. And now we have a great replacement, FWC versus O2 line, Azumi and Miyu Amasaki. It's going to be great. Don't get me wrong. But you look at this card, I'm like, wow, this is loaded. This is going to be worth every cent, you know, times five, right? I mean, this is going to be well, well worth the money for the pay-per-view. But then if you're going to add Hazuki versus Sayakamitani onto it, oh boy, howdy. But regardless, excellent card. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, you enjoy it as much as we are going to look forward to reviewing it next week. There, other than that, there are no stardom shows next week apart from those two that we've discussed. So hopefully it'll be a little bit more of a succinct show next week as we've uh, as we've topped two hours once again matt apparently we just can't stop talking about stardom when we get going um but i just want to say again thank you to everyone that listens on a regular basis honestly we we can't 
do this without you. Um, if you haven't already checked out our Patreon, it would be wonderful if you could. Any amount of support is amazing. You can join for as little as $1 a month. Um, or you can check us out on the free feed if you are. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you can leave us a review and a five-star rating, it would help us out massively it really really would i can't overstress that enough um and then on top of that you can find us on social media at the stardom cast where you can also subscribe to our youtube channel under the same name um if you want to talk to me on twitter you can at real rob goodwin matt turner we've taken up enough of these beautiful people's time please sign us off good sir Absolutely. You guys want to get a hold of me, questions, comments, and you just want to tweet at me, by poi. By all means, please do. Matt Turner <laughs> on the Instagram or the X or the uh, Twitter, whatever it's called. Email as well. You can email me anything you want, including by poi. Uh, the stardomcast22 at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me via email. Folks, we cannot say thank you enough. Like I always say, it's just not my podcast. It's our podcast because we're all together. Everybody's different. Everybody's special. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.